Welcome everyone to the return of WWF The Legacy Series. It is this Tuesday night in Texas. It is December 3rd, 1991 in The Legacy Series. We have a lot to talk about in order to kind of get you up to speed to the fact that we're back, to some of the scheduling plans to come, and then we purposely went away just before Royal Rumble 1992, because you know, like I know, that that is one of the greatest pay-per-views of all time, and we are on the doorstep of it. Ladies and gentlemen, I am the Mystic PhD, and I am joined by my friend and co-host, by God, my learned colleague, Mr. Ms. Fan, The Brain. Greetings, Ms. Fan fans. We are back. We are glad to be back. I've been blessed in my life with Ms. Fan Jr., our beautiful daughter Zoe, and uh, she's been taking up a lot of our time, but um, she is sleeping better. She is growing up already. Time is flying, and that means we're getting back to this podcast that so many of you have missed. I appreciate uh, all the good thoughts, the good notes, the good uh, comments that everyone has left while we have been away. And yes, now we are back. It is this Tuesday in Texas, and you got to say this Tuesday because it's like right on the heels of the last show that we covered, Survivor Series. It's coming up just a few days practically after that. And then, yes, we are on the road to Royal Rumble 1992. Life is full of exciting things. I am glad to be back. I hope you are glad to have us back. Mystic, let's get to it. Oh, my God, we're back. <laughs> I'm a little bit afraid to address you because I feel like you're going to know things that I don't know with this new life experience. And I'm going to get rebuked left and right, and you're going to be like, hey, I thought he was a mystic, but he's just kind of this bumbling uh, 30-something that needs to get his life together. Is that the direction we're going to go, Ms. Fan? Tell me up front. <laughs> yes, I'm going to come in and shock <laughs> you and say, well, I've realized now that Hulk Hogan was right all along about everything, and all oh, my man. kid needed was prayers and vitamins, and, you know, that, that took care of her life right there. No, I'm still the same Ms. Fan, so uh, I will try not to rebuke you on anything unexpected. <laughs> that is unbelievable. Now I've got that image of the red and yellow. I hope you can get that <laughs> merchandise. I don't know if they make it anymore. Uh <laughs> I think uh, my, uh, Benjamin Button has said that Hulk Hogan's guys don't shop in Florida, so if you really need to get access to some merchandise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I'll bear it in mind. <laughs> so, man, all right. Well, number one, we are back in part because we don't know how to quit you fans. This show um, is one of the great things that, especially as a side project in a busy life, to be able to kind of connect with the people that we connected with, to to share something that I think we all miss, um, it, which is a bygone era that we some of us grew up on, some of us found later. We are glad to be back with you. We are excited about that. Um, I do have to say I want I, I try to be upfront as much as possible. Uh, in September uh, through March, we're not going to be able to record. Um, I'm actually beyond my work. I'm going to take six months of classes in another direction. I'll get into that maybe in the future, but I'm trying to make 2022 do something a little bit different. But we're trying to find a way to spread out our episodes so we at least have some to cover it because we want to be able to check in. We want to be able to keep the conversation going so that on the other side, we can uh, get back to it. Um, do you know how we're going to do the schedule, Ms. Fan? 
Well, I have to take a, a quick look at it again, but um, in the earliest days of the Legacy series, fans may remember, we did release uh, bi-weekly instead of every week, so just to make sure we don't have any big gaps in our schedule, I think we may return to that for a while. So you may see a new episode of the Legacy series every two weeks instead of every week. I uh, apologize for the delay, but real life takes precedence, improving our lives doing big things. Um, so, yeah, that that is most likely the way we're going to be spreading it out here. Okay, yeah. <clears throat> we wanted to let you know because if you are new to this show, um, you'll find out. But if not, this is dialogic. This is conversational. This is all about – it's not Ms. Fan and I tell you what to think. A lot of times we get off this show and we go to the forums or we go to Twitter and you let us know, hey, cool uh, – perception that missed this thing and it's like oh okay like or yeah you know you're watching the wwf version of this guy but you didn't see him in the 1970s you know a lot of different things um that we build around this show um when last we left you hulk hogan um was on this slow burn to hell rick flair was on the come up he's in wwf undertaker has shocked us one of the greatest debuts in wrestling history uh, Shawn Michaels is getting ready to go single. Bret Hart is an IC champion. There is so much on the table right now. So now that we've been away for a while, Ms. Fan, uh, what, is, what is it that you're excited about? What are you thinking about as we come back to the show? Oh, man, how can you even ask that? You know, you said yourself, the show that we are on the doorstep of. We are coming up to Royal Rumble 1992. Bobby Heenan's finest hour, one of Ric Flair's finest performances in all of his amazing career. Uh, we are coming up on some rich stuff. We're in the middle, in fact, of some very rich stuff. People who listen to this show know this is an era we were looking forward to from the start. And not only has it not disappointed, it even maybe started earlier than we expected and was better than we expected. This is just a wonderful time after a poor uh, 1990, I think was the year that really kind of soured us for a little while. And uh, it's just, it's come up so much better here. So we're enjoying it while it lasts, because before you know it, it'll be 93, it'll be a new world, there'll be interesting stuff, but man, it won't be like it is right now. Yeah, it's confusing right now if you're working for this company, because uh, it looks like you might be in the peak moment in the history of professional wrestling. There's no way to... Um, overstate what it's like to have Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan in your company at the same time. But behind that, like this Tuesday in Texas is going to a poor buy rate. We're not going to get Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair. Um, Flair is going to be a two-time world champion starting in 92. And somewhere in 92, Ric Flair is also going to be told he's wrestled such a poor match. They need to go back out there and do it again. So, you know, I, I agree completely with my partner here that we are out of that mess. That was 1991. And we, as personal fans, are going to enjoy this uh, for a long time, I think. But it's still a weird time where WWF is not going to be firing like we feel like they're firing. Yeah, I mean, definitely things will change. Uh, 1990, um, poor, you had, uh, what, Ultimate Warrior and everything, and it just wasn't working out. And then we had 1991, and the year got better and better as it went, and now it's great. But, yeah, I mean... Before 93, a lot of things are going to change. I think I mentioned before, after WrestleMania, in one night, basically, we'll lose uh, Hulk Hogan, Roddy Piper, Jake Roberts, 
uh, and Sid Vicious, who I, I'm not even uh, a big fan of, as people know. But still, this is a guy that people were thinking was going to be a huge name, like a very important name in this company. Uh, so those are four huge names to all be losing on one night, and they're really going to have to change over. And then, and then 93, yeah, that's going to be like... Even the people we still have, we're not even going to pay attention to them anymore. Like, we're going to make a new world, whether anybody wants it or not. So, big changes are coming. But, man, we are in the thick of it right now, and that is some cool stuff. Absolutely. We think of WWF as the more stable promotion, and often it is. But, yeah, this is a time where we were, like, coming up. We're not even sure if Vince McMahon is still going to be in charge of the company. So, Mm. we are in that weird time right now. Yep, we really are. Everything uh, is going to change. I was just thinking, Yokozuna is not even here yet, and by this time next year, he's going to be, like, the only thing anybody's talking about. So, like, the world is going to shake here real soon. Uh, This has got to be one of the biggest transition periods coming up that this company ever had. I love that, because I had that thought in April before we quit, and then I forgot I ever had it, and then you brought it back. Yeah. I was thinking about the fact we're we're at January ninety two almost. So here's here's an unbelievable kind of thing here. Main event really of Royal Rumble. Bret Hart's world champion, Razor Ramon's the challenger, and Yokozuna wins the rumble. Like Bret Hart just won an IC title. Razor Ramon is nowhere to be found. Yoko's nowhere to be found. Main event SummerSlam, Yoko Lex Luger, neither of them in the WWF. Sure, um yeah. Yoko uh, versus Luger. Borga, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, Ludwig Borga. Man, yeah, we're we're just going to see changes left and right coming up here. And Shawn Michaels, um, as of this Tuesday in Texas, not even, you know, mm. broken out on his own yet. And uh, that's going to be a very important run as well. So, yeah, everything really is going to be different very soon here. It is, and we are here for it. Um, I will always appreciate I don't care about the business model and what worked and what didn't. Um from a storytelling point of view, you can't get me mad at a pay-per-view that has such chaos that we got to do it again this Tuesday night. <laughs> well, there is an appeal to that, I admit, as a fan, but still, it's hard not to be baffled a little by the existence of this pay-per-view. I think this literally is less than one week after Survivor Series. I, I just... Like you said, I don't like to think too much about the business perspective, but even if I have to say, like, what were they thinking? It's like they wanted this show to fail or something. You know, did this show uh, date the wrong person backstage? Did it get over (laughs) when it wasn't supposed to? Like, it feels sabotaged in a weird way. And it's not a great card. You know, there are two matches on here, which are very exciting, but it's like very short. And on a lot of the matches, uh, they, they don't even hardly feel like pay-per-view matches. So it's baffling how this came about. I mean, they certainly did not try this again for a long time, this Tuesday pay-per-view thing. So yeah. I don't really get it. But as you said, there is kind of a, some excitement factor to it. I like Wikipedia puts it kind of how you did with the um, <laughs> the event was an attempt by the WWF to establish Tuesday as a secondary pay-per-view night. Lukewarm reaction and a disappointing 1.0 buy rate rendered the experiment a failure, and the company shelved its plans until October 2004 when it held uh, Taboo Tuesday. I like the way that's put, like, as if they're like, uh, that didn't work out, but in 2004, we'll, we'll give it another shot. <laughs> and as excited as I was in 2004 by that idea, uh, it didn't really work out then either, so, yeah. 
I don't know, a weird thing in somebody's mind, in Vince's mind or somebody's. Like, man, we're going to do some Tuesday pay-per-views. People love staying up late on a Tuesday. They love paying <laughs> extra money five days after another show. Like, people are people are going to be into this. So, so weird in 1991 when fans are, like, you know, kind of losing interest in the company. They're like, let's jam another pay-per-view in there. We're going we're gonna to get the people's attention that way. I don't know. I just don't know why this isn't a Saturday Night's Might event or something. Because that's kind of more what it feels like. Like, it's short and, you know, there's just like a couple of matches to pay attention to. I don't know. It just feels more like that, I guess. Yeah, I feel like it's everything that people can love and hate about Vince McMahon wrapped up in one decision. You know, (laughs) which is just, hey, we're going to do this thing and it doesn't make any sense. But we're the the, the WWF and we're going to make it work. Uh, Tuesday... I, I would have to think that they just wanted, like I said, they wanted to make Tuesday work because it can't be like we're so hot right now that we can do what we want to because they're not hot and it's not working. But like they get ideas and they do them. And this is one of them. <laughs> I, it's just, yeah, it's some disconnect from reality. Because if they tried this in like 87 or 88, I think people might yeah. have actually bought this show. But not in 91, man. You gave them Zeus and Warrior and all this stuff that sent people running away. You can't just pretend that never happened. So, yeah, here you go. The poor buy rate of poor Tuesday in Texas. As an adult, I think, like you just said, I think about the fact that we talk about Wednesday being, like, hump day because, like, oh, my God, I'm finally past half of the week. But, like, the second night into the week now, I got to stay up late and I got to watch a three-hour show. Like, it's just I don't see any way. I don't see what the the appeal of this is supposed to be in that regard. Right. Tuesday is such a weird day to pick. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's strange. It was a strange choice all around. I have no idea what was going on here. Yeah. Well, we're here, and it's you know what I just thought of earlier. I think it was the other day. Is the fact that we were four WrestleManias in mm. when Hulk Hogan was finally confronted in a way that took that belt off of him. Andre the Giant became the champion, but he became the champion because of the outside interference of Ted DiBiase, the paid-off referees. We go to WrestleMania. We have a tournament. This is four years later. This is just before WrestleMania 8, and The Undertaker is going to take the belt off Hulk Hogan in a way that the belt's going to get stripped with Ric Flair being on the outside, causing that to happen, and we're one pay-per-view short of going to WrestleMania 8. Uh, with no champion. So every four years so far, uh, this event has occurred. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. I I, I don't think it's going to happen again in 1996. No, that'll be that Brett I can and Sean. So, yeah. uh, next up. <laughs> there you go. Um, but uh, but 98, we're going to have that big Survivor Series tournament. So yeah. somewhere along the line, we're going to get something. Um, I don't know how that'll hold up, but I watched it live on pay-per-view, mm. and it was at that time, man, I I was just so into WWF at that time. So we'll see what how we feel a year many years later. <laughs> I'm sure all of its flaws, but yeah, I'm truly looking forward to watching more closely that era of Austin Foley, Rock, Vince. You know, just uh, there's gonna be a magic there. I think that doesn't exist anywhere else. It'd be a different kind of magic than what we've seen in other places. But I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. I don't know why I loved it so much, like. It's Vince Russo's hands are all over it. Um, it's the thing TNA will do 12 times later where it's like, we're copying the Survivor Series. Like, we're going to do the sharpshooter and have the, like, there's a hundred things from that night that I think about it. I'm like, oh, my God, I don't like that. But, man, 
we 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 were so into that that we ordered the pay-per-view and then what is that channel where they used to sell stuff on tv oh my god like the home shopping network yeah wwf had a special right after survivor series ended where they're just selling merchandise on top of the night and we just stayed up we weren't going to buy any we weren't we couldn't have bought any and we just stayed up and watched that too that's how much we were into it at the time <laughs> Oh my God, that's amazing, man! To be a kid again and to be just so into something that you could do that—that's wild. That's great. I mean, we'll talk about it when we get there. But we, we've said before, like the difference between something that's already been established, that's being imitated, that is uh, not fresh anymore, but then mm. doing it the first time, you know, and even even Russo's ideas, I think um they will succeed initially like yeah. through a certain filter because they are groundbreaking and then he will just go on breaking ground until there's no ground left to stand <laughs> on and he falls into hell but you know like in, in the first place there was something very exciting about it and uh you know it was filtered and it had the right people and it was just lightning in a bottle so i, I think you know it will be more than the sum of its parts i predict i think we will enjoy it when we get there yeah Okay, so we're going to uh, hop back into 1991. Yes. Um, it was hard for me to – I don't know how, if this is a critique because I don't watch wrestling. So when we took off time, it's a genre I have not been in or I don't know how much is Tuesday in Texas. But it, it was difficult for me to kind of get into the old pattern again. Mm-hmm. How do you mean? You got to tell me more about that. I don't know. I was watching parts of it, and I was like, okay, what do I write down here? Um, You know, like <laughs> – this guy did a clothesline or like the genre of it. I think mm-hmm. either the genre eluded me or I didn't get into some of this. I, we'll find out, I guess, as we go on. <laughs> well, I think part of it is, as I mentioned, this is sort of a poor show. Like I hate to say it like there uh, you've got Savage versus Jake Roberts coming up and that's going to be hot as hell. That's going to be something mm. I'm very excited to talk about. And then you got all the main event stuff, which I don't think it really produced a great match or anything, but it did produce a lot of interest, a lot of, like, uh, different pieces moving in different ways that was interesting. But, man, like, there's two matches uh, on a five-match card, and the other three matches is, like, they forgot they were going to have a pay-per-view. <laughs> yes. And then they were like, oh, shit, we need some more matches. Uh, durr, here's <laughs> Skinner and Warlord and some other losers that we have yep. on our payroll. So, like... <laughs> If I was coming back, you know, I've been watching wrestling the whole time, of course, because I'm, I'm a freak, I'm an addict, but, um, right. you know, if I take a break and I came back to a Skinner match, I'd be like, hmm, maybe I should go back on break, you know? Yeah. Like, what am I doing here? I think one thing we, we will see is that we were in this time that we've been hyping, which is 91 and 92, and that is fair, but we're also just behind that. We're not just entering the new generation, which we highlighted. We're going to enter that world where everybody's a gimmick without a name. And we're starting to see some of that horrible uh, uh, concept play out with some of our heels. Like we got Warlord and Skinner and Repo Man. And it's just everybody's just some idea. And they, it's a singular thing. When we talk about Jake Roberts and The Undertaker and the psychology of what allows it, like, the guy playing Rickbow Man could be the greatest wrestler of all time. The guy playing Skinner could be the greatest. Warlord could be the greatest. But they couldn't do the Randy Savage, Jake Roberts thing because their character psychology is only, I want to repossess your things, you know, or I'm from the Everglades. You know, like, you can't do that thing. So, like, they are boxed up and boxed in from day one. And we are soon, 
going to be like, hey, let's have that model for the whole company. I know we got um, some former LOP person uh, who who loved Repo Man so much that he named himself after him. But man, I can't with the Repo Man. With the uh, it's it's nothing against um, Smash, you know, who did the gimmick. But man, yeah. I just can't with the little mask and like the tires on his outfit. And it's like, you know, okay, go repossess the Mystery Machine because you you can only fight Scooby Doo, <laughs> buddy. You can't be a wrestler. Like you're out of your depth here. You can't, like, Gorilla Monsoon's going to be like, why is he hunched over and sneaking around? You know, because the guy's already on the mat. But, like, because he's booked that way, you know, he can't do anything else. <laughs> he is possessed by his need to to portray this character rather than uh, be a wrestler. Like, you already have a job. Repo Man is a job. You don't have to be a yeah. wrestler also. Thank like. You. The exception that proves the rule is someone like Big Boss Man who can come in here and make this work because the gimmick is broad enough and because the guy is talented enough. But, man, the more specific you get and the the more you put it on a guy who is just, you know, you need someone transcendent like Big Boss Man, like Undertaker, to pull off some of these crazy gimmicks. And it can work, but, God, you can't just hand um, – a weird job to every wrestler who walks in the door and expect that it's going to get over. It just won't work. And we're going to see that a lot over the next few years. Yeah. Cause even what the, if you can say that the gimmick is, has a best anything is he's very committed to being a repo man. But then the question comes up, why are you wrestling and not out like repoing things? Because you seem so committed to your job. Right, you could be doing that right now. You're missing yeah. out on repo opportunities by being in this match that you don't even seem to want to be in. So, what, yeah, I don't what are you understand. Doing you know, and otherwise, if you're not out there to repo something, you might actually wrestle as yourself or someone else. You know, <laughs> like who wants to go on TV saying, "Hey, you know, there's probably nothing you hate more than someone taking your vehicle." And if you live in the so and so area, I am the repo man, so um, I am the one doing this. I see a, he's out there dressed like the Hamburglar or something. Yeah. Like, if he was just like a, like, I'm just imagining if he was just like a jerk who used to be a repo man and he dressed like a human, um, I, it would have worked a little better at least. But instead, like, he's just, I can't with the little mask and the outfit. Yeah. And just like you said, the way he moves, like every movement is like sneaking and it's just, it's too much, man. Just stop, for God's sake. Yeah, that's the worst of it. There's too much and too little at the same time. Yeah, yeah, because there's nothing there. It's it's ridiculous. I feel bad for Ted DiBiase, who has this amazing gimmick and character. We love him. And here he's like, oh, well, you're, 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 a, you're a jerk who likes to take from other people. So surely you must want to be with the repo, man. Just, no, come on. We deserve better here. Yeah, and even you see the difference there is that the Million Dollar Man is one of the great gimmicks in wrestling history. But you said, I feel sorry for Ted DiBiase. You didn't say, I feel sorry for a Million Dollar Man because, you know, that's all that he is. Like, even Ted DiBiase, with one of the great gimmicks, is also Ted DiBiase. Mm, yeah, yeah. A wrestler with a name and a nickname is uh, almost always greater than a wrestler who is only a nickname. It's so weird because one thing that's frustrated me my whole life with Lex Luger, being a Lex Luger fan, is like, you know, it's like, well... You never get involved with who wins matches or who wins titles. Like, you just do what they tell you. But, like, then in other places, like, he's the most outspoken man. Like, he's the one who gets, like, health insurance and other things, you know, going in the NWA. In the WWF, they wanted to just call him Narcissist, and he he had on Colin Lex Luger as well. So, 
Well, I mean, uh, he had some good priorities then because health insurance is important and so is uh, your own branding because, God, yeah, the narcissist. Oh, my God. Yeah. We're going to have to talk about that in almost one year here. Um, that that bizarre – I think at WrestleMania he's going to – he'll be there. He'll have a little video chat with uh, yes, the Yes, he will. So, oh, boy, we're real close now. <laughs> He's got some good lines, too, and I think it's Mick Foley who said, maybe I'm wrong now, I'll have to look it up in the future, and I will, because SummerSlam 93, we're going in, but um, I think, like, why don't you just make him Lex Luger like he was? Right, it's it's baffling. WWF's need to rebrand people who come in from the outside, and even people who don't, because, like, Repo Man is Smash, who was in Demolition, who was, like, one of your most popular acts yeah. ever, and now... And now he's the Repo Man, you know, so you can't even leave your own stuff alone. It's wild. I don't understand it. This is what I mean about Vince. The best events being the worst events, because it's like we will not use your old name because we want to brand you in merchandise. So we're going to make you something that we own that nobody that we don't need to brand because nobody would buy the merchandise. (laughs) So you end up in the same spot, you know. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, man. It's um, it's a consistency across. Like, even up to today's, like, we, we want you to be ours. We want to brand you as some weird thing and not not necessarily pay attention to what you were before. And, you know, there's exceptions to that as well. But, man, it's a, it's a mania on the part of uh, Vince McMahon and the WWF slash E. Uh, even with Repo Man, because as Smash, you know, I see the effort of the guy under the mask. Sure. But, like we make fun of like Barry Windham's gonna come in as a stalker for five minutes uh, in oh, the nineties, yep. but like Skinner is no better than that. Like what do you do? Like if, if you want to be a pro wrestler and they make you Skinner, like what? Let's say you're the most ambitious pro wrestler of all time. You take that gimmick home and you're gonna be Skinner and you're going to. You talk about like oh there's something running out of his mouth there. That's kind of nasty. Oh my goodness, he's going to like skin this person. Like, what do you do as an ambitious wrestler? Like, when you're riding in the car and they say that all the guys used to talk about how to get their gimmicks over, what do you do? What What is the, the Skinner plan if you're the ambitious pro wrestler? I don't know, but once there was a man called the Ringmaster, which uh, was almost as bad, and he made it yeah. work somehow. So I guess just hang on until your company is about to go out of business and then say, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want if people, you know, cheer it. So maybe that's the key. <laughs> Yeah, I think Vince McMahon, and I haven't watched, I think that Stone Cold documentary came out lately, and I think, mm. you know, he kind of demanded, like, you know, he wanted a different gimmick, and Vince McMahon let him do it because he cared so little. Like, in his mind, like, there was no chance Austin was going to be a superstar in his company. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, that's I mean, been my impression uh, as well, you know, this is something that would have never happened under different circumstances, so it was right place, right time. Yeah, so we're going to get into this in the weird reality that we're going to kick off the show with a guy like Bret Hart because we're moving away from muscle men and we're moving away from that fantasy and we're moving to technical wrestlers and he's wrestling a man named Skinner so you know (laughs) we're getting a lot of mixed signals here in the WWF we are you know I never thought about this until just now but the steroid thing obviously it's coming up you know like you said they are kind of moving away from big guys already maybe in anticipation of that and it's going to be come even stronger so we're going to see guys like Brett, we're going to see guys like Diesel who don't lose their mass when they don't take steroids. Mm. But do you think that also increased the appearance of guys like Skinner, of Repo Man? Because if Fitz McCann can't have muscles, then I think what he really wants the most is silly characters. 
Oh man, I think you just hit the bullseye in one. I've never thought about that, but either like the most beautiful thing, like Vincent Man is like the bodybuilding physique, the the naked bare bodybuilder. And if we can't have that, we got to start layering them up with gimmicks that make Vincent Man laugh. <laughs> so there you go, the, the two options in this great uh, world, uh, the WWF. God. And that and no, that's the that's company right. that succeeded had that mindset. So I'll tell you something about wrestling right there. Man, I also think about now that you said that Repo Man wearing clothes, Skinner wearing clothes, Doink sure. wearing clothes. Like in the era that we moved away from the bodybuilders, how many people are fully dressed now? Yeah, yeah, a lot of people being covered up. I think uh, there's definitely something to that. Oh, what an what an interesting time, folks. And we've <laughs> we've kind of kind of gone broad to get our feet wet again but the fact is in the next two or three shows we are in one of the greatest like runs for both of our personal fandoms so you know we're gonna soak that in while we can <laughs> yes and we are also going to move quickly over the stupid stuff that doesn't matter and we're gonna focus heavily on the stuff that we enjoy talking about so that 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 is our promise to you do you know the opening segment? Was that from Survivor Series or was that a new one with Gene Okerlund and Paul Bearer and The Undertaker? That was the same one that closed Survivor okay. Series like five days ago. I I still can't believe that. <laughs> yeah, especially with us taking time off. We really, it's hard to like, <laughs> there were days after where we left off. Right, yeah. Usually we're coming back like, oh, it's been like four months since the last show. It, no, it's been five days this time. So get out your wallets again. It's baffling. I don't understand it. Yeah. So the, two, the the big thing for me at the beginning was, even though it's not a great card, this has two massive major matches with the rematch between Hulk Hogan and Undertaker and this feud that has just been boiling over uh, with Jake the Snake and Randy Savage. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you just look at the top two matches, you'd be like, man, what a hot card. Like, I don't know if they had waited. <laughs> You know, a yeah. little while, if they'd put this show in a different place or if they'd put this on a Saturday night's main event and focus on these two matches and short up the undercard a little bit, then we'd really be talking about something very exciting. And instead, it's like partly exciting and partly like, why did they even do this? So <laughs> it's, it's a strange show. Lengthwise, too, it's half the time of a pay-per-view, so sure, why not be like Saturday night? It's a 90-minute show. I, I don't know. It's very – I hope this was cheaper. I'll just say at least than Survivor Series. I don't know if it was or not, but I hope so because if I paid full price for this, I'd be hmm. walking out the door myself, you know, as yeah. a fan. Yeah, so we'll go ahead and get into it. This is Again, this is the, uh, the differences here because Bret Hart is now an IC champion. He's Mr. Excellence of Execution, and here he is defending the title against a man named Skinner. So uh, that's our first match on the show when we kick off with Girl Monson saying, for Skinner, for all intents and purposes, is undefeated. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Either you're undefeated or you're not. Right, yes. I don't know. It's a gorilla monsoon. Um, just, uh, I, don't, I can't think of the word, but yeah, just bullshitting out there. You know, he doesn't know if he's undefeated or not, so he's, he's covering his butt. Um, Every day, though, I, I take good announcers that don't know what they're talking about over uh, announcers that are overly scripted, so oh, I'll, I will yes. allow it. Oh, my God. I love Grill Monsoon. I'm, I'm not saying a bad word about him. Grill yeah. Monsoon BSing out there just so we can continue to look like the smartest guy in the room is is something I'm all about. You know, that's that's Gorilla Monsoon to a T right there. 
And then Bret Hart gives his glasses to a young woman who loses her mind, which makes me happy that he starts giving them to children almost his whole career because <laughs> I forget that he has that kind of Shawn Michaels heartthrob gimmick before Michaels too. Like he wears the pink for a reason. Like he's supposed to be like very attractive to women, but like in time, somehow I forgot that was ever part of the package. Man, even even watching it, I kind of forgot it was part of the package. I I definitely remember that lady going insane when she got the glasses. Um, But, yeah, I mean, that's got to be dropped almost immediately because I I hardly remember that happening at all. I'm going to in this matchup. I have a line somewhere. Brett can be brilliant and he can be boring. And he, to me, like, he has the capability of being both those things. And another brilliant thing from Bret Hart to me, being that he's never going to be Hulk Hogan in an era where people expect you to be Hulk Hogan, it's almost like the politician who goes to every diner and knocks on every door. Like to be the guy that steps out of the ring and gives your merchandise one fan at a time. That is the most un-Hulk Hogan thing. Like Hogan's in the sky, Warrior's in the sky, Bret Hart is on the ground one by one kind of doing his thing. Oh, sure. Well, these people have been flying around and breathing fire and doing everything and every other element. He has been patiently brick by brick building mm-hmm. a tower that he can stand on for the next five, six years. And uh, it will be very rewarding to him in the end, I think. Yeah. If he can get past the um, somewhat undefeated Skinner in this IC title defense. <laughs> oh, man. I'll say this for Brett. I feel like as as much as he is a great wrestler, and, you know, there was a time when I thought he was boring, and you, certainly you can find Bret Hart matches that are boring, but I've definitely come to appreciate him more. I think he is not the kind of guy who's going to go out there and break his back to make a great match with a guy like Skinner. Yeah. You know, this is a guy who I think knows when to put in the effort and knows when, you know, he can maybe just have a regular match, which is not notable at all and that's what this match is i would say yeah i did not enjoy this match it's not like they did anything bad but it was dull to me like okay just do all these things that you're going to do and fill up your time yep very much so i'll just say for skinner i mean this is we talked a lot about repo man but skinner is steve cairn who uh was in the fabulous ones with stan lane uh, a very successful very entertaining tag team in their time he will do other things in other places which are perfectly entertaining, and yet here he is Skinner, and I just can't get into him because I cannot with these gross or greasy gimmicks where you feel like it would be disgusting just to touch the guy. I I can never get on with these, you know, like you say, he's like dribbling out his mouth, and like it's just gross, and I don't want to see him or touch him. I feel gross, so no Skinner for me. Please go away already. It's got to, you got to pre-stain your pants, I think, you know, (laughs) and like, I want that to be enough. I want not to have to say more than that. (laughs) (laughs) That Um, is plenty. Here's a sobering reality for me and for, I think most of our listeners are probably somewhere in, in our age range. So I don't think we probably have that many young folk listening, but as a kid, I thought Skinner was a fat old man. And when I watched him this past week, I thought... He's not only slim, he's much slimmer than I am now, and he's probably younger than me at this time. <laughs> that was a moment in my life, folks. <laughs> my God, that's that's really something. I gotta look him up now. See, let me see. So, there's no way to know that man's age in this gimmick. <laughs> no, nah, he was 40 at this time, so at least okay. not quite as young as. Um, oh man, wow, that. he was 40. Wow. 
Quite um, slim. I think in the, when I was a kid, somehow I got Skinner and the Berserker mixed up at times. <laughs> oh, to be a kid? Oh, my God. I'll, I'll take a, Berserker like, 10 times out of 10 over Skinner. Yes. I'll just say that. I thought Brian, I got Brian Pillman and Lex Luger mixed up in 91. I got Barry Windham and Ric Flair, so I think it's just like one element of the person. I, I understand. To... When I was a kid, before I really watched wrestling, I was just kind of peripherally aware of it. I thought um, Hollywood Hulk Hogan was Triple H, so we all <sighs> think awesome. crazy things as kids. So <laughs> Triple H for like five minutes thought he was Hulk Hogan, but he found out <laughs> differently. So and then know. he thought he was Ric Flair for the next thirty years. Yeah. Here we are. So he's tried many of them. <laughs> That's, oh yeah, it's he's weird all things he's like... to all people in his mind. So yeah. Like this, that's backyard wrestling where you get to be every gimmick because it's in your backyard. And yeah, he's in the most established organization, playing Ric Flair, playing Shawn Michaels, playing Hulk Hogan. Oh, like I'm not even mad at him. Backyard of them all. Yeah, that's that's a fun life, you know. <laughs> if he ever figured out who Triple H was, I think he would have been dangerous. <laughs> well, we'll see him more than a few times, so maybe we will solve the mystery, or maybe we'll just have a poor time. We'll find out. Absolutely, a gorilla mon. This is a gorilla monsoon quote, not a mystic quote. Crowd's getting a bit restless here. <laughs> God, God bless, God. yes, the era yes. of uh, Gorilla Monsoon, who would just say whatever he felt like, you know, and not be beholden to uh, a false reality. You know, he would he wouldn't go out and trash people outright, but man, he'll he'll tell you the truth one way or the other. Yeah, I did get a little interested when one of those those dang clavicles almost got fractured. Can't remember whose, but you know that was exciting. <laughs> Yep, and maybe someone would get hit on their uh, precipital obtuberance, or, oh my god, the moon, the monsoonisms are my favorite. This is a monsoon Heenan called show, which should yeah. tell you right there that, uh, that that's one thing that puts the value a little bit higher. Yeah, so we're going to have a moment where Bret Hart's down, and you know he's going to put the leg up, because Skinner's like, I think, on the second rope for like an hour and a half, <laughs> and... Uh, Bobby Heenan says the hitman's in trouble. He's definitely in trouble. And then he, uh, you know, comes back and he's like, he was playing possum. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> the Bobby Heenan uh, reversal, the I knew it all along. We're gonna have some uh, all-time moments of that before we're done with our show today. Yeah, shockingly, half undefeated or not, Bret Hart will get the sharpshooter, and Bret Hart will overcome the Skinner. Yes, now Skinner is definitely not undefeated. You can't make any qualifications about it. Man, I think you illuminated something for me earlier because, like, Jake is next up, and we're going to get into some really good stuff. But imagine if he was like, Snake, all right, this is the debut of Snake. There's Snake, <laughs> you know? And he, instead of having a snake, he can wear a snake. You know? <laughs> but he's Jake. Like, I got Sean Mooney and Jake is what I got on the top of my paper, you know? Yeah, thank God for those names. Those names will help you a lot, for sure. So let's get into it, Ms. Fan. We don't even talk about these things before, but Ms. Fan you know, sending me a text you know, about Savage and Jake because, like, you can't not say something about it. Oh, my God. This, this right here is some of the best stuff that I think we are going to talk about. Not, not like the greatest match of all time, mm-hmm. I think, you know, because we'll have something to say about that. But just in terms of, like, a segment that can take hardened, you know, cynical fans like us, and 30 years later, we can watch this and our skin may crawl and we may feel certain things uh, that we can't help but feeling when we watch this stuff. Man, there, 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 there's something in this whole segment we're going to talk about that is going to be above and beyond. This is some elite tier stuff, in my opinion. This is the stuff. This is the stuff. 
like four years ago, 1987, Jake showed up and Benjamin Button and others were like, ooh, ooh, Jake the Snake Roberts. And Mystic was like, eh, like, I don't really, you know. And even I was like, well, you know, like, I like him, but his matches. But man, moments like this reach forward in time, reach backwards in time. They make the legend of Jake the Snake Roberts. They make it transcendent in a way where it doesn't matter what you think of his matches. It doesn't matter what you think of the man. This is stuff that transcends to a higher level and it reaches through time. This is the stuff that makes the legend of Jake the Snake Roberts. Man, I I would submit that they 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 have great effort and we'll get into it, but I would submit that Jake and Randy Savage at this moment in their career would not have had to have tried and it would have been masterful. Mm. I've brought this up before, but in the NBA, when a guy starts hitting like three after three after three, they call it a heat check because he'll come down and he can shoot it from anywhere in the building. And whether he makes it or not, nobody gets mad at him because it's a heat check because he feels like at that time I might not be able to miss if I tried. And if you look at Jake Roberts, what he did with the Ultimate Warrior, with the Undertaker, with the Macho Man, and you look at Savage with the Wedding, with Reinstate the Macho Man, this is a heat check. Like, neither man can miss at this point in their career. And then you put the two of them together. This is insane. This is some of the most organic, best stuff happening in the WWF. Mm -hmm. You could put anybody at the end of the card, and yet this is like what's happening in the WWF right now. And, you know, I'm glad the Savage didn't get that second run because, my God, these guys are doing work right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're going to talk a lot about Jake, and I think Jake is the driving factor of this. I will take nothing away from him. But, yeah, Randy Savage is bursting at the seams of his little cover-up outfit to get out there to do this work, to, to show again that he can be in the ring and that it was madness to take him out of the ring in the first place. And, man, he's going to prove it about 100,000 times over here. Yes, uh, Jake continues to be some form of dark romanticism or some literature yeah. era of bygone time where, like, this man does not know Skinner came before him. Like, when he starts talking, like, he's from, like, 1800-something, you know. I, I love it. Jake Roberts, I think we have to talk about them together and independently because mm. – there are things that make the few together, and there are things that independently need to be praised. Mm. If you met Skinner, I think Skinner would end up inside the snake in about five seconds. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Holy smokes. Yeah, no. Oh, my God. Yeah, we got to talk about every little detail um, of this thing that we've got coming up. Savage and Jake, it's, oh, this is some wonderful stuff. And the funny thing about Jake Roberts, and this goes, I didn't know the gimmicks was going to be the theme, but... Jack Tunney really thought we lived in a world where you take the reptile away and Jake Roberts has nothing to bring to the table. Yeah, he's like, you can't bring your snake here anymore. And, I mean, I get it. Like, if you told Jim Duggan he couldn't bring his two-by-four, I think he would just crumble into dust mm. and blow away. You know, like, some people, that's all they got. But, man, you, you, you tell it to Jake Roberts and things are just going to get worse. You know, you're going to find out, wait, that snake was actually the healthy outlet for what he's got going on in his head. Yeah. He takes the challenge. Like Jake Roberts takes this personally. Um, I like the fact that you thought you defeated me. You know, what you did was you took away my go-to and now I've got to start thinking. I've got to start trying now. So let's see what happens when I'm deliberate about this. Mm, it's 
so good. This is in a Jake promo that he's cutting before this match. Uh, he's talking about that segment where the snake bit Randy Savage. He's describing it. He's talking about how Elizabeth was afraid and how much he found out that he enjoyed that fear. And man, the way he talks about it, I love what you said, dark romanticism, because that's what it feels like. There's something intimate about this and yet also poisonous and just the way it's captured you can hardly articulate it you just have to watch it i think it's so good yeah there's something imposing i think we've talked about him whispering and 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 the threat that's in the not yelling but he says something to the effect of as cold as a razor blade as tight as a turning key like the skin on a dying man and He's just winding up this delivery, this repetition. Um, but something's going to give. Something's going to split. Something's going to break because there are two things happening at the same time. Like Jake Roberts is saying, the snake doesn't define me. I'm not mad. I'm challenged. And I believe that. And I also believe he is very mad about it at the same time. Mm, yeah. And so you, you take a perverse like, there are some guys, I don't know if we said this about Jake, we said it about somebody on the show. Like, I don't want that person in a feud with me. Like, I don't want to be the person that guy, like, he stays up thinking about. I don't want to be on his radar. I don't want to pay a price that he's going to deliver. And so I really think he is both deep down pissed off, but also he is also now on another level where you really did start me thinking about what I might do instead. I think it must have been Jake that we sent that about because think of his feuds, the feud with Rick Rude and his wife oh. where he would not let go of this thing with Rude long after Rude was like ready to be done with it. Uh, this thing with Andre where he's having like panic attacks and heart attacks in the ring, all the feuds that he has had, um, you know, Rick Martell uh, with the blindness where, where Jake was seeing nothing but inside his head ways that he could torture Rick Martel, this is the not the guy that you ever want to be on the mind of because once he's got you in his mind, I don't think you can wriggle off that hook. I think only like bad things are coming in your future. Yeah, and for as long as it as it takes for him to be satisfied. Yeah, yeah. Like what a threat to be on the mind of Jake Roberts. Man. Okay, so I want to pop some more quotes because it's Jake Roberts. He says, When you look in my eyes, um, you see two black holes in the sky. Your eyes weren't even there, talking about when the snake was uh, on him. And then he says, uh, when I was brought into the world, I could not rob, steal, lie, or even cheat. But boy, have I had help learning. Mm. Man, he's so he's so great right now. Like, I'm, I'm thinking of Arn Anderson a lot as I hear yeah. this promo, because to, to my mind, Arn Anderson is the only other guy I can think of who comes up with these amazing phrases that just stick in your mind. And it's a particular kind of promo. It's not the Ric Flair type of promo. It's not the Hulk Hogan type of promo. Uh, it's just something different. It's something on a higher cerebral level where they will say things that are damn near poetic and they really will just stick in your mind for a long time. Yeah. And they're both dangerous men mm. and, You'd almost feel relieved that they would just raise their voice. Like, for God's sake, just get mad and get it out in your promo. But they're whispering, and it's like they're trying to save that aggression for later on when it's more necessary. And, like, I think if they would just let it out, you would suffer a lot more in the feud, but they're not going to do that. 
Rusine an element, an avatar element to Jake Roberts? Oh, man. I don't think so. That's a tough one. Ooh, Jake Roberts. God, I don't even know. That's a that's an interesting. I would like to hear people's thoughts on that because um he's almost like a perversion of water in one way. Hmm. You know, like he's dark, like he is that float. Like the snake is a flowing object. Like it's a curved and moving. But then he's got the, the you got to think about earth element because like that's the mind, that's the you know cerebral um effect. He's not Sky. You think about Jake's life, unfortunately, and the things he went like his real life abuses, I don't think, are completely separated from his gimmick. Yeah. And I think I think nothing frightens Jake Roberts more than the than the Sky element, like having hope and feeling good and thinking like, oh, look how high up I am. So I think that's the that's the farthest maybe from him. Um, Some kind of underground river in the dark that you can't see, but you could hear it. I like that. I think that's as close as we can come right now. Yeah, I'd love to hear thoughts as well from our listeners. If you uh, think you know what element Jake Roberts is. I think it's got to be some kind of, it's probably Earth in my opinion, but like, because the snake is like the snake, you think even think about the Bible, the curse of the snake is that it's got to crawl around on its belly. So it's as low to the ground as it can get. But I also think there's that dark, perverse water uh, mimic like I think I think he I don't think he is water I think he mimics water mm. and um, he he's not fire because like fire has a chance to consume the person and the others and that's the thing about this man maybe in as far as the gimmick and the wrestler I don't think like Jack, Jack Tunney's trying to consume him right now you know it's like like you said <laughs> if he took away the two by four from Hacksaw Hacksaw would be red in the face and like beating up Sean Mooney you know <laughs> whether Jake's mad or not you, it's anybody's guess you know. Yeah, fire doesn't know. whisper, I don't think. So Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's a quote right there. Yeah, Yeah. well, I, I can buy that Jake is Earth, but he is under the Earth, as opposed yeah. to someone like Brad Hart, who's working up on the surface. So, um, no, I love it. Please share your thoughts on Jake Roberts as we uh, go along here on Twitter, at Spectral Gent, and on uh, LP forums, where uh, we have a nice thread for that. Absolutely. Do we want to say anything else before we jump to Randy Savage? Oh, no. Let's jump to Randy Savage. We have to because Randy Savage himself is going to jump in just a moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Randy Savage is like he's been listening to the Legacy series because we have a running theme that he is never not in motion. And we are going to see that in real time in just a moment because he'll start off standing still. He's with Elizabeth. He's with Gene Okerlund. And he's talking about trust. And, man, it hit me like – you put Randy Savage in a feud that is built on whether you should trust somebody or not, and this could not have turned out any other way than it did. <laughs> oh, man. Randy Savage, from WrestleMania to SummerSlam, he was able to unclench to stop moving, and, man, like, a snake bit him in that hand, which unclenched, so that'll that'll teach him, I guess, to try to find some peace, because the peace is gone, and now the rage, the fire, it's really come back in full force here. Yeah, you want to talk about um, patterns uh, of people I just talked about in, I think, Jake's actual life. I think this guy would be uh, the worst thing for him to get close to because of the threat of falling. Um, you want to make a fool out of Randy Savage? You want to get Randy Savage to let his guard down and then he gets bit by a snake? Like, that was a once-in-a-lifetime I'm letting my guard down. Yeah. And if you think he's ever going to do it again, we have maybe – the most wound up Randy Savage, the tightest, most clenched, 
Randy Savage now because he did the thing that people said you ought to do, man. Just don't be so paranoid. Just chill out. Well, he did that for you, and he ended up being bit. And if you're the one that told him that he should chill out, you're probably going to pay the price too. Oh, my God, yeah. I, I hate to be in that position. Um, man, I, if, if you want to stretch it out, I think you could you could make an argument that Savage will carry that through the rest of his career. Because, um, you know, they'll put him back in the booth, but he's never really going to calm down again. And even all through WCW, we will see the paranoia, the anger, the increasingly irrational actions of Randy Savage. Yeah, he found peace for about five minutes. And as you said, like, when his guard was down, a snake bit him. I don't think he's ever going to let that guard down again. Yeah, you, you could say he carried that through the rest of his life if he wanted to. And yeah. this is the thing, though. I wrote this somewhere because of... Uh, where is it? Um, I saw a few pages later, but you absolutely have to have people's gimmick be an extension of themselves. Mm-hmm. If the if the gimmicks were not an extension of the self, what Jake Roberts does here and what Randy Savage does here could not happen. Mm-hmm. You know, Steve Austin couldn't happen. So many guys couldn't happen because we're getting into this, but. We kind of defined Jake. I think we did a good job with that promo. And now you got Randy Savage, and we kind of broke it down. Like, we know every single thing, whether you're talking about the character or the person. Like, the paranoia, the trust issues. We know what happens when you push these buttons. I don't know what happens. Skinner doesn't have buttons. You know, he has a stain on his pants. He doesn't have buttons. Don't press that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I got to know what your buttons are. And you got to actually have buttons. If I can care about you long term, otherwise there's no long term. And this is a wrestling company when without history, when it's like, oh, well, he was upset in that gimmick and that angle because that's what the angle was about. But like now nah, he's a pretty chill guy. Like that's not how it works. Mm. You know, I will say this really quick. I had a life writing teacher when I was in graduate school who said um, that she thinks that we spend our whole lives writing about and trying to untangle two or three things and we might think we're writing about a bunch of things but it's like two or three narratives our whole life trying to untangle trying to untangle trying to untangle and i think that's what you see in some of these best gimmicks because they're built off who these people are yeah no that's very interesting i don't think i heard that before i i could definitely think a lot about that so man this is I'm not even saying that much about it because Randy Savage is going to do another promo and it's going to like blow the roof off of reality. So um. (laughs) for sure. I mean, this promo is very intense, but it's not, you know, it's pretty much, I think what you would expect of Randy Savage, which is great, but it's not necessarily, you know, we're not going to quote like 10 lines from it. Like we would from Jake, you know, it's more about the intensity than the words and how the intensity is just off the charts here. If, If Jake Roberts is a river quietly running underground through poisoned uh, caverns. And then Randy Savage is a fireball screaming through space about as far away from that underground river that you could possibly get. And the fact that these two are meeting at all is kind of wild if you think about it. Yeah, I like that because Jake knows just where he's going to strike. I think Randy Savage doesn't even know where he's going to land when he hits Earth. Mm, yeah. Yeah, if Jake would have a plan, and you would think he would have a plan for just about everything, the way his mind works, I don't think Randy Savage had a plan in his life. I think he's just going to rely on the fact that, yeah, he can be in three or four places around the ring at once. He's going to be intense. He's going to just use that fire to fuel him over the finish line, and that's what's almost always worked before. So could not be more opposite, these two, I think. Yeah, 
And that's the weird thing about human beings. Like Randy Savage is a smaller man who won the world title in an era where nobody else could. Like Andre the Giant could barely sniff the world title in an era where Randy Savage got it for a year. And I think the only plan is to be so paranoid, to be so out of your mind that you can hit that place where you don't have a mind anymore. You don't think anymore. You just become that red hot revenge, that red hot um, momentum. And so nobody's going to convince you when you've done things that you otherwise had no right to do, no matter how unhealthy it might be not to do that again. And it's like Savage is trying. He always has mantras that he repeats over and over and over again until he can't even hear the mantra and you know he's not thinking anymore and he's just in action and in motion and he will leave this promo still mumbling and still talking and he's going to run out and attack Jake Roberts before the match and like I didn't know he was going to do that but I knew like he hasn't stopped talking he, like the motion never breaks like all of these interview segments they say their piece then Gene Oakland has a line and it's over there's no ending to that sequence and then he's running out the next time you see him to attack Jake Roberts. He's gone. He's lost. Like, his mind is not there, and his body is fully activated. Yeah, I mean, he, he's speaking, he's speaking. He hears Jake's entrance music kick on. He's still speaking, but he's also moving. He's out there. He's probably still finishing his promo when he attacked Jake on the entrance ramp. Like, he is a clenched yeah. fist swinging um, with only one thought in mind, and that is to get Jake, who uh, who did all these things to him. And it's weird as we talk about this, because I was a little disappointed in the match when I originally watched it, because it almost felt like, hey, Jake's on his way out, and the feud, and the feud is over. But <laughs> when we talk about it like this, I think it's almost the price. Like, Jake, Jake's plan is either going to trip you up, and you're going to get the best of him, like he did when he put the snake on him, or you're going to have this other thing happen sometimes, where you go a little bit too far too soon and you're you're not even facing the man anymore. And like the only way Jake Roberts can win is if he's facing the man because he can make he can push those buttons like nobody else. But if he has activated something beyond being a man, then Jake Roberts I don't know what Jake Roberts can do to to nothing but strictly motion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can make your plans and you can um have all your dark thoughts, but yeah, when when a flying fish hits you in the face then <laughs> You know, what are you going to do at that point? Um, yeah, the match itself, it's um, it's weird to talk about because I would say it's definitely my favorite match on the show. And I think if you look at the history of Jake Roberts matches, it is a really good one. Uh, when you look at the history of Randy Savage matches, it's probably kind of disappointing. And you look at it in the context of the feud and you're like, well, that was just it's much shorter than mm -hmm. you would possibly think with this feud. Um so it's both entertaining and a little disappointing, depending on what you're thinking going in. Um, I still enjoy it a lot, but the fact that what it leads to after the match, I think really kind of overshadows anything you get in the match itself. Yeah, it is almost a Savage. You think Savage is almost propelling himself to end the feud, like getting the best of Jake Roberts. Mm -hmm. like you would have no idea in a way that what is after the match is going to be after the match. And I think, I think it also reveals something in the mindset of this feud. Like Randy Savage came out here and he was like, you know, he, he's, he's crazy. He's wild, all that. But on some level he's thinking, well, I'm going to beat him up and I'm going to win the match and that will be my moral victory. And then, you know, that'll be it. And Jake, like surely he wants to win the match, but is that really what he wants the most? I don't think so. I think what he wants the most, he still gets at the end of this. 
So you really have to look at not just the match itself, but what, what are both people trying to get out of this feud? So, so it's very interesting to look at, I think. I think it's also the problem with being a babyface and mm. Savage was a heel for a long time, but man, he went hard into babyface with the retirement and the marriage. But like, it's only a babyface mindset that thinks if I go out there and pin you, then I bested you and the feud has to be over because I pinned you. Like, mm. like Savage should not make that mistake. There, there's a Randy Savage that is not this Randy Savage that does not make that mistake with Jake Roberts. Yeah, well, when you get married and you, you, you have that happy baby face life, maybe you forget these things. Okay, I for, I for real for a moment thought you were saying, and when you have children, you might know something about like why you do that. I thought it was coming. <laughs> Well, Savage wouldn't know. I don't. I don't think he no. had any kids. Not with Lindsay. Can you imagine like a, a five-year-old Randy Savage with his beard and his hair? <laughs> I can't. I. I don't know if you saw, but uh, Arn Anderson's kid uh, just started wrestling in AEW, and uh, he looks freakishly like his father at a very young age. So, I can't even imagine the same thing for Randy Savage. It's always a trip to see wrestlers' kids, and Savage would just be a trip and a half. I think. Yeah. I, I haven't clicked on that because like I was I was too nervous, you know. Because like if he just <laughs> turns out to be a disappointment, so I don't know if that sets your mind at ease at all. But uh, yeah, I just don't know if Arn could fake it. If if Arn if Arn wasn't impressed with him, I don't know if Arn could fake it. You know. <laughs> uh, if he doesn't do enough good enough job, he's gonna throw battery acid on him. So. Oh gosh, that's a motivator. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. I wrote down a quote that I stand by here. I said, I think you get the feeling these two sickos are giving each other just the kind of feud they both want, whether consciously or unconsciously. Mm. Ooh, yeah. Right. So Savage is going to kind of quickly, mm. relatively speaking, get the victory. And maybe it's also because the snake's not there and they really think like, hey, he ain't got nothing if he doesn't have the snake. But... Um, the thing is not over. Randy Savage is going to give him a little bit more payback because, hey, I got the victory, but, you know, you did you did cross some Randy Savage lines. <laughs> Plus, I'm a baby face now, so I got to, yeah. you know, <laughs> got to attack after the match. It's, it's, it's part of the obligation. But the weird thing is he grabs a chair, and there's a referee who doesn't realize that he's a baby face now, and it takes the chair away from him. Yeah, I know. <laughs> They, they didn't get the memo, I guess. Um, but uh, either way, Savage is trying to attack. Uh, Jake puts him down with the DDT, and that is when things really start to go crazy. Because Jake, he goes out, he takes uh, from under the ring, he says, Oh, well, I, I promised that, you know, I wouldn't have it in the ring during the match. But here <laughs> under the ring, he's got a bag, and uh, what could be in that bag? Maybe a Cobra, maybe nothing, you don't know, with Jake. But either way, Liz runs out, covers Randy Savage with her body. He begs Jake to leave. Jake doesn't leave. He grabs Savage. He DDTs him again. He's taunting Liz. He's threatening to bring out that snake. And he's, he's just going over the line. He's saying, do you love him, Elizabeth? And it's chilling. And he demands that Liz has to beg him to spare Randy Savage. Jake says Savage is nothing, and he goes over the line. He grabs Liz by the hair, and he even smacks her in the face. 
and Gorilla Monsoon is screaming that he should be suspended for life, and Jack Tunney is running out, he's ordering Jake out of the ring, and the cherry on top is Jake reveals there was no snake in the bag after all, he kept his promise all along. Man, this segment, man, it is amazing, it is chilling, it is dangerous. If you only watch one thing out of everything we're talking about today, watch this segment, because it is amazing. Yeah. Uh, if you've ever had a knot in your shoe and you couldn't get the knot out, there's no way you can figure out a Jake Roberts storyline. Because <laughs> I'm sitting here having the same conversation I had at the start of this, because part of me thinks what he did to Elizabeth is he is so mad. Like, you take my snake away, you take what I am away, and okay, let's play this game then. Let's, let's do this to everybody. And then... When you say, like, the snake isn't really in the bag, like, is he frustrated about it? Or is he so clever he's, like, a mile beyond that and he just wants to show you, like, oh, look, I didn't need the snake. Like, the intentions of this man are so hard to figure out. Mm. But then you also realize when you're on the other side of it that the thinnest, the thinnest victory, that Randy Savage came out and attacked him before the match, dominated him and pinned him, and it might be the thinnest victory of all time. Mm. Like I said, I think Jake got exactly what he wanted out of this. And you can see, because he's going to do a promo after the match, which is maybe even more the most brilliant thing on the show, because, man, he'll be almost shaking like he can almost not talk because of how excited he was by all of this and by how, how much it did for him. Like he what he got out of this was so much more satisfying than winning the match would have been. And we're going to see the juxtaposition. We're going to see Savage as well. He will cut a promo, and it'll be well after this, but he will almost be unable to stand. He will almost be unable to talk because he is so furious, but also full of regret and pain and fury and anguish. So you look at these two post-match promos, and you tell me who really won in Mm. this segment. That's great. That's well said. Um. I think vulnerability exists in all of human beings, but you you look at someone and if you ever like happen upon a human being and there's like, okay, there is 0.5% vulnerability left in this person and beyond it is nothing but a snake gimmick and an actual snake, mm-hmm. all in order to make sure we don't touch that place that is now down to 0.5%. I suggest you don't be the one to touch that place. <laughs> and so... If, if Jake Roberts has built a world where he's a snake and he's a, like mentally and is a physical snake, maybe you don't decide that Jack Tunney to be president for one show when you've never been a president, but active president before and take the snake away. But on the same flip side, because this is not the end of life because it's one night, like if Randy Savage is in this relationship and he has this thing and Liz is this symbol and the relationship is this symbol. Maybe you don't like strike her in the ring and then leave her laying next to Randy Savage. So um, these men have removed uh, the things that they have built their entire lives in order to hide a lot of things. And I think for most of us, it might be like, man, on one level, I'm really glad that you might make some progress. But if I have to watch this, could you just cover it? Could you cover that place back up? Get the snake over there and Liz, you stand back there again, because... <laughs> There ain't no telling if Jake had stayed and this feud had played out and it was given time and energy. I don't know where it goes from here, but my God, it would be anybody's guess where it goes after this. I mean, I think we'll at least get some hint of it because these two will fight again. I think at a Saturday night's main event uh, before WrestleMania, 
they will fight in Madison Square Garden and other places where we might get to have another look at this feud. But yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, you got your raging climax right here because this, like, I mean, this, <laughs> so much is going to change before WrestleMania. I think you said to me in text that uh, it doesn't even feel like they know that Savage is going to go after that title. I think every chance that Savage and Roberts we're going to fight to WrestleMania and maybe beyond because after this segment, like, I don't know how they could ever leave each other alone. You know, this is some like lifetime feud material right here. I believe a hundred percent to zero in my being that we are going to Hulk Hogan and uh, Ric Flair at WrestleMania and uh, Savage and Jake at this time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine why we wouldn't go there. So I've heard so many excuses with, with the Hogan Flair thing. I think if it's any of them, I don't know when Hogan let Vince know that he kind of just wants to be in Hollywood. And like, I don't, I would like to know when that conversation happened because that's the only thing that makes sense to me why you don't have that go in the direction you're going. And that doesn't make sense because Hogan is still going to main event, still going to win. Um, you know, so what, like what, he just couldn't win the title, I guess is the thoughts. I, I don't know. That's, it's so strange. I mean, that could be the reason, but everything about this will be strange as we go along here. Yeah. Well, he doesn't work. Does he work WWF after this? No. After WrestleMania, after WrestleMania he is gone until he shows up weighing about, you know, 95 pounds and, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> just hanging around with friggin' beefcake. So, yeah, we're going to have a huge gap in Hogan there. So how could, but how could you have him win the belt then if that's what's going to happen? I suppose so. I don't know. Um, it's yeah, not, maybe so. I know yeah, it's not that they though. worked house shows and uh, all the fans were not in. That's not the thing that happened. I don't know what happened, but that's not it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like I said, it's very strange. And Ric Flair. But you, we're going to give Ric Flair some credit for, for who. Because Ric Flair is somewhere in the locker room watching a, a, a gimmick, an angle, where Miss Elizabeth gets like struck and Randy Savage responds in the promo that's about to come. And he's like... Let's follow that up with an I Hit an Affair with Miss Elizabeth uh, program <laughs> and see how that goes. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, no, I, I can't wait for that. It's going to be some great stuff as well. Yeah. I th- this not to get hung up on the Hogan thing, but if that was the reason, then why wouldn't they just say that? Why is there this weird narrative about, oh, well, Hogan and Flair didn't draw when, yeah, it pretty much did. But even if you put that aside, what did Hogan and Sid draw so much either? So, I don't know. It's just very strange. Yeah, I don't know, but that would mean that, so somehow you knew, because Flair and Hogan wouldn't draw, that <laughs> Savage and Flair would, and Hogan should still main event the show? I, it's just baffling. It makes no sense, and I shouldn't even complain, because we're going to get Savage and Flair, which is brilliant, uh, better than anything Savage and, um, or uh, Flair and Hogan could have done together, so I can't complain too much, but still, it's like... You know, uh, Flair, oh, well, he can lose his WrestleMania main event because of this reason, but Slaughter can't, and Sid can't, and all these other losers, you know, Nash can't lose his WrestleMania main events based on the fact that they can't draw or spit. So, you know, what, what, but, but, but Flair, we gotta throw him out of the main event for that reason. So it's just, it's just weird, you know, pick and choose who you want to pick on and you know whatever it's it's wwf you can't win we're also though in a moment and i'm gonna touch on this on our next episode and i'm gonna go very biblical and i don't even know if it's gonna make any sense because it just came upon me i didn't choose to have the thought but 
I think you are a thousand percent right that the in reality the Hulk Hogan uh, demise in WWF was a slow burn that has 1989 written on it, 1990 written on it, 1991 written on it. I believe all of that. I am so thankful that we have narratives like that. But I also think that if you want visual representation that Hulk Hogan is dead in ways that go beyond even the arena and the reaction, I think Royal Rumble 1992 would be the piece of footage that you show to mark the end of Hulkamania in the WWF. And I think there's a lot of fallout that comes from that. And there's a lot of messy things. I'm going to save some things for the next episode, but we are going all the way to um, Jesus Christ on the cross (laughs) to try to figure out what to make of the death of Hulk Hogan. And so I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know why it happened. It's the strangest thing. If WCW had Flair and Hogan and they didn't put them up against each other, it would be the great joke for the rest of like reality, for history. And they just don't do it. I don't know if we'll solve it. Uh, but, man, we were in a moment. I think Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon, well, I'll be quiet till next next week because I got something to say then. <laughs> there's a lot that goes into it. But, yes, if there's a smoking gun. Uh, they killed Hulkamania. It's definitely at the Rumble in 1992. So we will discuss it all. We will closely examine the evidence. We will ask Jesus up on his cross to comment <laughs> on the situation. We will we will do all we can to unearth that mysterious uh, situation. Yeah. We go where we go to figure it out. Maybe not. I think about it that maybe Royal Rumble 92 is so shocking that he doesn't eat for a year and then he comes back like he said, 95 pounds in 1993. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good explanation as any. It's got to get on that pasta mania to uh, get, get that mask back. So. Oh, Kogan's hunger strike till he gets one more chance at the belt. This is. <laughs> it blows my mind that we know these things. Vince McMahon knows these things. WWF knows these things. And yet, I guess you go with what you go with. But the fact that we end WrestleMania eight and nine with Hulk Hogan just tells me how much there was never a plan B uh, in WWF. Yeah, certainly not one that they could commit to, by God. So, jeez. Well, this is so strange because I feel like we're talking about everything under the sun while we're talking about Jake and Savage, and yet we're not off topic. <laughs> it all mixes together very well at this time. That's that's part of what makes this era so good because all these people are going to be involved in what we're talking about right now. You know, it it's all intertwined. <laughs> yeah, this is, these are the times I love most. Like, one of the greatest roles of all time. I've always compared 91 and 92 to 97 and 98, mm. but like I think Brett's like, you know, laced with profanity, quitting WWF, pushing Vince McMahon down. But then you got Sid comes out, Undertaker comes out, Austin comes out. Bret Hart take, does an awesome suicide dive uh, at one guy, and you know, every week, four to six to eight to twelve people would be in the main event because the things were up for grabs and everybody wanted it. I love these moments in wrestling, especially right now, because, my God, it has been all Hulk Hogan. It's not Hulk Hogan and Andre. It's not Hulk Hogan and Savage. When it comes to who is not Warrior, it's always going to go back to Hulk Hogan. And there's this weird moment where it's up for grabs and we're going to get there. And everybody's kind of letting loose a little bit. Mm, Yeah. I mean, uh, it will definitely become overused in time. But there's a reason for a while. The hottest thing that the WWF could do 
in that 97, 98 is, yeah, have like ever all these guys run down, you know, these run ins. They would have people, you know, looking up at the entrance before it even happened because that's what they wanted to see. They want to see that chaos. They want to see all the different pieces of the story come together. It's exciting, you know. It's great when you have these storylines that involve so many different people. So it's very good stuff. I'm looking forward to a lot of that. Yeah, and it wasn't gimmicks back then. Like, you know, everybody was legit making their claim to to the same piece of merchandise and hardware. Yep, yep. Oh, it's great. I love when things are on the come up. It's so exciting. Yes. So, man, you get this this big, big, big uh, thing that happens in the ring, and it's only because of Jake Roberts and Randy Savage that that might even pale to the aftermath and commentary that comes after. Mm, yeah, amazing. We do go backstage with Jake Roberts. He's with Gene Okerlund, and he tells us, <laughs> this kills me, he says, nobody wants a woman who grovels, even though he was the one... <laughs> <laughs> who made her grovel in the first place. But, man, he's sweaty. He's almost shaking. Uh, he, he says people only want women who stand up for their man and for herself. Uh, he says he, he slapped her in the ring, but he would slap himself. He'd slap Okerlund. He'd slap anybody. But he says it did feel so good. It's so good that I would pay to do it again. And, Jesus, man, this guy is just sick at this point. But I love it. Yeah, five minutes ago. He was hanging out with Poe and doing writing dark romanticism. Now he is a character in a Dickens novel. He's hanging out in the cemetery trying to get unchained so he can go out and do whatever he wants to do in the world. So uh, Jake Roberts is all over the place. He begins with congratulate me, Gene. Like Gene is, is seething, and he's just got a smirk on his face saying congratulate me, Gene. Like, he is in full, full arrogance, uh, full antagonistic mode. Uh, he says that maybe he could even – make Liz into something that he would want. Like, he could cultivate her. But as she stands right now, like, she's weak. She's not the kind of person that interests him. He says, I'll slap myself. I'll slap Eugene. This guy has been like this. Like, I I blame WWF more than I blame him because, like, what are you going to say? Like, he didn't see it coming. He didn't think it would happen. Like, Jake Roberts has been out of the closet since at least the Ultimate Warrior feud. And where is Ultimate Warrior? Like, he's laying in a pit with some snakes somewhere, I think. So, you know, keep keep trying him. Keep trying him. Keep questioning him. You know, keep telling him what he will and won't do. And, you know, you keep getting the same result. I don't know what your, I don't know what your expectation is. <laughs> it's, uh, speaking of snakes, it's a snake eating its own tail here. Because half the reason he's doing all this is because he was uh, excluded and denied entrance yep. to that uh, bachelor party with Randy Savage in the first place. He was denied the chance to kind of celebrate this with the other baby faces. Mm-hmm. Um, he was put out because he's creepy, but now here he is proving he's even creepier than anybody thought. So were they right to exclude him, or did they cause this by excluding him? I don't know, but uh, it, it yes. goes around and around and around. <laughs> There's, that's where he left his point five vulnerability was at that uh, celebration, I think. I think he should have just let him in. Yeah, if he betrays you, he betrays you. But like they might have been right to do it, but technically they betray him. It's true. They started this. You know, he was there to celebrate with everybody else, and they wouldn't let him in the door. So, whoo boy. Uh, yeah. If, if you have a snake and it's just being chill, like it's being a good snake – don't yeah. piss it off. Like, what were you thinking? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, you, you let it just do its thing. Maybe even keep your distance a little bit, you know. But 
like have a little corner in the room, you know, like, oh, Jake, you know, we thought you'd be over there and greet people and we'd all be over here, you know, because you're so good <laughs> with your words and everything. <laughs> oh, man, that's brilliant. Uh, Jake tells Savage when they meet again, he should bring Liz so he can touch her again. And he is just I, I'm going back to what you said, because I loved it so much, that dark romanticism mm. it, 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 it feels like that's what we've got here in some weird way i really feel like jake reached out and stole an intimate in his mind an intimate moment with miss elizabeth something yes. that only they two shared together and it's so creepy and it's so sick but it's very compelling as well yeah and that's how warped he is like this would be the version like rick flair would kiss her or send her flowers, you oh. know, and in his sick mind, he would think that they're actually like in a relationship or that she would want to be with him like that right there. Jake striking her in the ring was probably his best uh, try at showing Savage that they had an intimate moment. <laughs> and that's sad and that's twisted. But like we're talking about wrestling gimmicks and characters, and that is Jake the Snake Roberts. And just beyond that, there is, I think, something darkly realistic about that i don't know like there is a certain intimacy and violence and it's sick and it's messed up and yet still like it is something only shared between two people this is something that you know should not have been allowed to have happened but it did happen he forced it to happen it's very creepy but it really is very compelling he's standing back there with gene Erkland, like elizabeth came to the ring to let him know and let the world know that she actually was wanted to like help him out and she was not actually with savage like that's the look on his face and and the the the, and part of it is like okay he's a he's a twisted he he plays mind games but the first mind game with jake roberts probably happened with jake roberts (laughs) i was gonna say you look at this and i i don't think he's fooling other people if anything I don't know if he's fooling himself either, but, man, he says, oh, well, I wouldn't even want you. But, man, he sure is excited to uh, yes. get back in there with him. He's 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 smitten in a weird, disgusting <laughs> way, you know. And it blows my mind because this is the guy who, when Rick Rude did what he did, came out and did what he did. <laughs> well, with a guy like Jake, it's one thing if they do it to you. It's another if you do it to them. You know, I think uh, in, in, in a snake's mind, it's all about who's doing the striking. Yeah, that's a great point. I will say as good a compliment as I can get, the role he's on, the momentum, the way he's behaving, just how flagrant he is. It reminds me of a time when Pentagon got a mentor. And I would talk more about that, but I don't think anybody saw Lucha Underground. Uh, if only anyone had watched it. Uh, that's only Pentagon himself, himself had watched it, for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> Pentagon, the swag that he had, and, like, he would do stuff. Like, he would do the worst behavior and be, like, a dog, like, with their with their tongue wagging, like, wanting a treat. You know, <laughs> and that's what Jake's like here. Like, Gene Okerlund is, is the best ever in the business to do what he does. Mm. And Gene has no comebacks. He has no conversation. Like, there's nothing. Like, that man is on his own planet. And you don't know if he's just trying to piss the world off or if he's, like stepped out so far he's lost himself but nobody's gonna go do that investigation you know to figure out and i will say this too we've we've kind of crapped a little bit on on vince and the wwf at times in this show in this series we will do so again as we feel it is deserved but credit to as always allowing a moment to disrupt the show 
to this extent because yes, Okerlund doesn't know what to say. Monsoon, like I said, he's screaming in the booth. He should be suspended for life. Jack Tunney has to run down. Everything is in chaos. Nobody is doing like snake puns. Like it would be such a WWF thing for Jake to come back and Gene is like, well, you shouldn't have stolen that kiss, you scaly scoundrel or something. Yeah. You know, like it would have been so easy to put something dopey on this and ruin it, but they really let the moment exist in the way it should have, and it came off extremely well for that. Yeah, this is beautiful. The only thing they don't do, this might have hit the level where they should have done the thing that I think you and I treasure deeply is when you just have a random guy like Tito's about to wrestle his tag match, and he's like, oh, I just wanted to comment on what in the world's going on with Savage and Jake. Like, is it safe to be back here? You know, <laughs> yes. it feels like it's almost going to hit that level where everybody in the back's got to comment on it. Yes, that iconic shot of everyone standing around in the back at Nitro, and they don't know mm. what to do next. Yeah, something like that. Woo, yeah, I, I would have loved to see something even more like that, but what we got was brilliant, so I won't complain. And I will say, as Ms. N just said, we do not value uh, single narratives for the sake of stubbornness or, or creating an identity for yourself. It is perfectly fine to say WWF sucks because I'm watching Skinner and WWF <laughs> is amazing because now I'm watching Jake Roberts do a promo. Uh, yes, the tale of the two WWFs will always be told. Speaking of, we're going to oh, get back into the feud between the Warlord and Davy Boy Smith next up. Jesus Christ, why can't they stop with these two? Like, they, they fought at WrestleMania, it was kind of better than people expected, okay, great, and then I swear they just wrestle each other for the next calendar year, every day, it feels like. I swear there's like a hundred Davy Boy Warlord matches out there that you can watch, and you should only watch one of them. And none of the others, because they are boring, mostly. I feel like Vince was thinking, the Fed is going to circle soon, and I'm not going to have guys like this, so let me just watch these two work each other as long as I can. <laughs> let me look at these broad chests and these big <laughs> biceps, and yeah, let me let me see it all so I can remember it in the dark times to come. So. The one thing I'll give it is Bulldog at least tries to be a, a, a speedy wrestler at times. Like he tries to adjust because Warlord's bigger, mm. you know. And he doesn't always do it well because, you know, it's the British Bulldog. But at least they don't just power each other the whole time because Davy Boy's not going to win that battle. I mean, it's far from the worst match I've ever seen, like you said. Like, they, they try some things, and... I've seen a lot worse, but man, like, this just should not have still been going on nine months later after they settled their issue already, and, like, this has gone on so long that Slick is not even here anymore, now it's freaking Harvey Whippleman, who's a terrible um, replacement for Slick, by the way. Slick is mm -hmm. off becoming a reverend, so he can be a nerd in primetime and love Jesus and stuff, and... Not that you shouldn't love Jesus, I just miss Slick, you know. Love Jesus if you want, but I miss Slick for what he used to be. Oh, I will tell you this. There, he did do some good work as a babyface because I just discovered last week that I think they had a week-long babyface versus heels uh, family feud. So there's like five episodes, I think, on YouTube, <laughs> and he's on the babyface team. So Okay, okay. Those things, man. I started watching them last week. Shawn Michaels, I think, is the captain of the heels, and Randy Savage is the captain of the baby faces. <laughs> that's that's really something. I don't know if that's something I would want to watch or not, but if it was, I would be interested in that arrangement. 
the one thing I could not, as only I, I think off one episode, so maybe it's different than others, but like, you know, the number one answer is often the easiest to get because like 80 people out of 100 said it. Right. But like you could have the board blank and Crush could be up there and he's still not going to hit one of them. <laughs> and you can see the embarrassment on his face. He's not someone who can hide it. So he was coming up with these answers and they were never on the board. And you can see like his red face and like smiling, but not really smiling. Oof. That was hard. To, that was hard to watch. <laughs> I said wrestlers are probably the worst people to have on Family Feud yeah. because not only do they get hit in the head for a living, I don't feel like any wrestlers have anything reproaching a normal life. So I don't think they know what real people would put on a survey. So no. that's um, that's an interesting arrangement. It's also fun because they, you know, when they have celebrities, they're playing for their favorite charity. So you got like, oh, the baby faces versus the heels, and the heels are the bad. And then it's like, oh, you can win for your favorite charity. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever seen the Gorilla Monsoon Bobby Keenan episode of, oh God, Double Dare or something like that? No, I have not. Oh my God, you should seek that out because um, <laughs> I won't spoil it in case you want to watch it, but it's a I will good, watch so. it. I will watch anything that they did in their lives together. Oh, absolutely. It's fascinating to see them outside of, like, because they're still doing, like, kind of the characters, but obviously, like, they don't have anything planned out, so they're just riffing out there. And just just check it out, everyone. It should I think it's on YouTube or something, so find it if you can. It's, it's a hoot. Here's the great irony of life. Uh, Vince McMahon wanted nothing in the world but to not be wrestling, mm. so he would shrink the WWF by a million to be like a horrible version of horrible entertainment. And yet in the eighties, he had people who were more entertaining than the best entertainers in the world. <laughs> like if he could have just been happy, like you could put Bobby Heenan on any television show on anything that exists on TV ever. And he would be on the same level as the best. Mm. Like you had that while you had a wrestling company. Right. Mm. And then you tried to be entertainment and you weren't entertaining. Like, there's just something so twisted in that. Uh, yeah, I don't, um, the mentality of Vince McMahon is inscrutable, as always, so I don't even know what to make of any of that, but you are so right, Bobby Heenan, uh, one of the greatest entertainers, and just proof that entertainment and wrestling don't have to be two separate words, for God's sake, so. I think I saw Vince McMahon and Bobby Heenan, like, doing a WBF segment with a bodybuilder working out. Sure, sure. And Bobby Heenan was entertaining. (laughs) Vincent Man was weird, and the bodybuilder was a bodybuilder trying to be an entertainer, but Bobby Heenan was entertaining. (laughs) Oh, yeah. There's more than a few of those out there. It's just, (laughs) um, yeah, Bobby Heenan, he he could make anything work pretty much in his prime, so you got to give him credit for that. So I'm going to go ahead and hit a tale of two British Bulldogs real quick because I don't personally dislike the British Bulldog, but he reminds me of Sting. And I, they team up in WCW later, so I've never thought this, but, like, I don't know how to feel substance with this man. Like, I feel like nobody's home. I, I, I just don't know what it is that I can't get into the British Bulldog. Like, I appreciate him from this era because this is when I started watching and he assumed to be a bridge between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels with the Intercontinental title. So I appreciate that, if nothing else. But, like, every time we get to the Bulldog, whether it's the Bulldogs, who are supposed to be one of the greatest tag teams of all time, and now he's in this IC title run soon, I don't even dislike him personally, but I can't pin I can't pin my interest on anything regarding him. Mm, yeah. 
Dave Boy Smith, uh, for me, was one, the more I watched him, the less I was interested in him, I am sad to say. Uh, I definitely see some comparisons with Sting. They're both uh, athletic guys. They both arguably don't come at me with pitchforks, but they both kind of maybe need somebody to walk them through a good match. Uh, um, I would say the main difference to me is they are dopey in different ways because yeah. Sting is like, uh, oh, yuck. oh, I'm here to, you know, I'm Sting, derp, derp, you know, and he, Davy Boy is more like, uh, oh, where am I, you know, am yeah. I wrestling, you know, so they're kind of both dopes in different ways, but, um, yeah, there's definitely some similarity between them. Yeah, and if, 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 if you let Bret Hart tell it, which I'm always skeptical, like Bulldog was so far from being taking his job seriously that we might not know what Bulldog was capable of. I feel like that one is borne out, and yeah. the more Bulldog matches you watch, the more it is true, because you see him in there with Brett, or especially like with Owen, like one of my favorite matches of 97, which is a super hot year, is Bulldog versus Owen uh, for that European title, and like there are some brilliant matches, but then you see him in there against like most people, and it's like... Oh, this guy is a wrestler? Is he aware of that? Like, you know, mm. so not yeah. that he's horrible, but he's just sort of like going through the motions and like, oh, I'm a strong guy, so derp a derp, here's a wrestling match, I guess. <laughs> I was about to say it's a kind of a lights are on but nobody's home type thing. Yes, yes. I said for Sting, somebody was always home. That guy yeah, was like a dope, but Davy Boy, yeah, he's like not there mostly. Yeah, some Jim Carrey wannabe was home, unfortunately, <laughs> when you knock on Sting's door. <laughs> oh, yes. Sting is just somehow an extension of, like, The Mask, if you ever saw that movie. Yeah, I can totally yeah. see that. I will say with the Bulldog, I think that's the frustrating thing. If, if it's my company and my money, I don't know that I never don't hire him because, like, I can look at him and see his potential, but I think it really is that it's just maybe he's never kind of puts himself into it. I like him with the dreadlocks. Him. I'll just say that. It's a better look for him than most of his looks. I hate his crucifix. I don't know why they keep having win matches. His crucifix is <laughs> the only one I've ever seen where instead of grabbing the arm and swinging into the air and grabbing the other arm with the leg, he grabs the arm, walks around to the back, climbs up the back, <laughs> and then like finally gets it done. Oh, it's amazing that they brought him on just as they were like reducing steroids because like, yeah. that's the only thing he wants to do in life, I think. So... <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah, so this is not a great match. No. I even kind of like I, like when I listen to shoot interviews. I like Warlord's kind of like I feel for him. I don't even like talking bad about him because I like him when he does his interviews. But you know, it's the <laughs> Warlord and his. Thing. I don't hate Warlord. I think he just naturally did not bring a lot to the table. Yeah. Um, I've seen much worse. So yeah, I, I don't have a huge beef with Warlord or anything. Maybe the line of the night though. Bobby Hinn says. Bulldog thought he had a 300-pound fire hydrant. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. Yep, I love it. Uh-oh. Yeah, Bulldog will win the match. Uh, like I already said, he hits a crucifix that you just got to see for yourself. He didn't even do the power slam. That was the only thing that people remember about their only good match. And now he's not even doing it. He's doing his, like... One quarter speed crucifix, so yeah, I don't get it. I don't know if it's my memory, but I thought as a kid, because Warlord does the full Nelson for his finisher. I, I thought as a kid they both had the same power slam finisher, and that was their feud. But maybe I made that. Like <laughs> my childhood man is a weird. There's not there's not an accurate memory from it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I yeah, I have no explanation for that one. 
Yeah, so we got uh, that happened, and now again, like I said, we are we're swinging back because Sean Mooney is with Randy Savage, and for me, like I can't say don't watch the Jake uh, promos because they're outstanding, but I can't say don't watch this one either. Oh yeah, oh my God, this is where where Sean Mooney is like trying to talk to Randy Savage. But Randy Savage is like defying the normal interview structure. Like he can, he won't stand up. I don't even know. Like I don't think it's because he's in such pain physically. I think he just can't like collect himself to mm-hmm. stand up and do like a normal interview. He's like on the ground half the time. He he is not looking at the camera. He's not looking at Mooney. He is just like writhing practically. Uh, he, he is so furious. He is so full of regret. He is overwhelmed. He says it's his fault. What happened to Liz? Uh, he's furious. He's in anguish. Um, it's amazing. And I got to give credit hugely to Savage, but also to Sean Mooney, who looked genuinely terrified this whole segment. And I don't blame him either, because, like, we've seen what Savage has done in the past. Like, he could have done anything here, I think. Yeah, and we said earlier that Savage seems to have these mantras that he runs until they don't run anymore, and then he starts running. I think we are watching real-time the new mantras be uploaded into his system. <laughs> he's like, degraded Elizabeth, it's my fault, I blame myself. Like they, Those are being uploaded in real time, and he's on the ground like processing them as they happen. Mm. You're talking a lot about uh, that, that small area of vulnerability. Well, Savage was a big area of vulnerability. Mm. I, I think you're right. I think we're seeing um, fresh scars forming here, being driven into his, his skin and his psyche and his mind. And, uh, yeah, I don't think this is something he'll ever be able to let go. Yeah, I will, t- I will say this. And we're linking 91 and 97 again. But after I watched this for what, it's, what it was, and it's beautiful, and it's horrible, and it's worth watching, uh, Ms. Fan previously debunked that Randy Savage should retire in 1992 or three, and then instead he should have stayed in the WWF till 1997. And I, this whole segment, I was thinking, what would it be like to have a Randy Savage versus Brian F. and Pillman pro, uh, program? I don't I don't go with Pillman like some do, but man, like you if you can't see some amazing value in that, some potential in that, I don't know what to tell you because that that seems like it just is a no brainer. It's just aside from Jake, there are very few people I can think of that would just find that spot on Savage and and, and in their mind think, oh, let me just hit this again and again and again and see what happens. Like, even if I was Jake Roberts and Randy Savage is laying on the floor behaving like this, I would be like, hey, man, you know, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sick. I got a problem, and I don't really want to do this anymore. And that's being Jake Roberts. Like, who wants Randy Savage to behave like this? Like, it, it takes a special kind to uh, see this promo and thought, that's exactly what I wanted to see, and I hope that our feud continues. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's wild. It's a very raw, emotional moment for randy savage and what what people don't often talk about and i don't even know how to process this in with everything else but savage and liz are on the verge of like separating i think in their real relationship here um you know they'll, they'll be fully divorced less than a year after this um so to work in like these big emotional moments around this relationship and to have a guy like Savage, who, you know, I haven't watched the shoot interviews or anything, but he comes off to me as legitimately a very emotional guy. Like, 
I don't know. There's just so much tied up in this, like real pain and fake pain. And, you know, I, I don't know where one ends and the other begins. Oh, man. Yeah. It's, uh, Randy Savage can nurse, um, a tragedy like almost nobody. And like in ways that hurts him in ways I was thinking like when Steve Austin breaks into the house and Brian Pillman has the gun, like there's the metaphor of Randy Savage is if Pillman has shot Steve Austin, that is a tiny bullet in one part of your body. But Randy Savage knows how to find that tiny bullet located in him from a feud and just nurse that wound in ways like nobody I've ever seen. And it both empowers him and it destroys him. And we are watching a grown man called Macho Man lying on the floor, writhing because of what happened to his significant other. You know, like the size of a bullet wound, but he nurses it up to like to, to proportions that we probably cannot understand. And we get feuds like Jake Roberts versus Randy Savage. Yeah, no, there's just some crazy stuff in this time, some crazy potential of stuff that uh, will never get to happen. But man, just you, you could think about it all day, I think. You just sit around and imagine the possibilities here. Yeah. Instead, you switch gears one more time and you're back to <laughs> uh, Ted DiBiase and Repo Man taking on El Matador. We got El Matador now. And Virgil. I refuse to say I, he is Tito Santana to me. I will not go over to the dark side of that. Um, poor Tito. We've talked about it before, but I think it was you that told me that he, he was hoping to get a real big push out of this. Yeah. Like, he really went out and, you know, filmed these stuff and, like, learned about being a bullfighter and all this. He came back and nothing was different. It was all pointless, you know. They treated him just the same, if not worse. So that's a sad situation. It is. I wrote down, if you could go back and give any wrestler a career redo because they deserve better, he would be in my top ten. Oh, he'd be so high up there. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy, you can't, you know, not even I could stretch and be like, oh, he should have been world champion over Hulk Hogan or something. But if you keep this man hot in the intercontinental title scene, or you move him over to the NWA and put him in, like, that challenger role to guys like Ric Flair... Like, you know, he already has an amazing, like, Hall of Fame-worthy career, but it could have been even better than it was, and that just tells you, like, the enormous talent of Tito Santana. Yeah, we're even going to get the second error to me of this Golden IC thing where we went from Perfect and Brett mm. and others to, like, Sean and Marty, and then Perfect, even Perfect gets to come back into it later. Yeah. Like, why, why can't El Matador be in that? Like, why can't Sean be El Matador for the belt instead of Bulldog? Like, you know... He could be IC champion easily, and then it hit me watching him in a tag match that, for God's sake, if you can't do anything else, he's already been a tag champion. Make him a tag champion again. Hmm. Do Does Michaels wrestle Tito at one of these WrestleManias? I think WrestleMania 8. Okay, so we might be coming right up on uh, at least a taste of that. I, yeah. I, I feel like I must have seen that. It's got to be some good stuff. Maybe not as good as it could have been, but we're going to keep a sharp eye on that, and we're going to tell you how good it was and how much more it could have been, I think, with some different handling. Yeah, and it's also like, Shawn Michaels is still going to be a, a baby with the egg cracked around him at that right. time. Right, yeah, stuff. of course. But, you know, the, the IC run goes all the way to 96, so, like, you, like Shawn Michaels is going to have one of the best matches I've ever seen, and his opponent's going to be Jeff Jarrett, 
So, like, don't tell me what he couldn't have done with Tito Santana. Yeah, which is miraculous in and of itself. So, yeah. No, yeah. for God's sakes, by, by 93, I know it'll be Michaels and freaking Tatanka. So you can't tell me that Tito yep. wouldn't have been better in that role because it's freaking Tatanka. But now I am getting ahead of myself. Yeah. So, I'm, Bobby Heenan runs down the reasons for the feud, like, why these people are feuding. And then there's a pause in Gorilla Monsoon. says, what a warped mind you have. <laughs> They're so perfect. They're a delight. They are just wonderful. This this is the kind of show which makes you, because for a long time we were like, oh, Monsoon and Ventura is the best pairing ever. And then you watch a show like this and you're like, well, Monsoon yeah. and Heenan, you know, you can't you can't say that maybe they weren't actually better. So, man, they're neck and neck and they're so different, too. And I just I love them both. That's one thing I like about this show, too, is like at the end of the day, the answer to that is you don't compare them because they're not trying to do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So even some of like, who's the best wrestler of all time? Like is Ric Flair trying to do what Hulk Hogan's trying to do is Hulk Hogan trying to do what Bret Hart's trying to do. You know, it's weird to compare people who aren't trying to do the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I love having those conversations with the end of the day. How do you compare someone like Bobby Eaton to someone like Hulk Hogan to someone like, you know, uh, in Japan and Mexico, like just yeah. like the world of wrestling is so deep and wide is it's hard to really ever say uh, this is true or this is not true or this is good or this is not good. You know, sometimes you feel it, but sometimes you just have to say, hey, you know, it's subjective. It's context. Everything is different. And so many things can be good in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. And nobody even watched Lucha Underground, so how do you even compare that with the rest? <laughs> right, nobody has the full set of reference except for uh, you and me, so, you know, only yeah. we know, I guess. So. Can you imagine if AEW turned on uh, Lucha Underground and they saw Pentagon, or if uh, Pentagon saw Pentagon, it'd be like, oh my god, we got something here. watched El Rey instead of uh, New Japan, we, we would have a different life, yeah. maybe. You can't beat it, man. Go back to that. Conan, like... You can't have a conversation about Conan without seeing Lucha Underground. Oh, sure, yeah. He's showing up now in AEW. I don't know if you saw that. But, That's uh, interesting. That is I wonder how that affects their podcast, if they talk differently now. I wonder, yeah. I, I'm not a podcast listener, as you know, but I know he's got one, and he's uh, yeah. got some interest. So. And it's keeping at 100, so that's very interesting to see like if, if they switch <laughs> up on their AEW commentary. Oh, I have uh, I have a lot of respect and love for Conan. Maybe not necessarily as a wrestler, but uh, just the Same. things he's done, the things he's accomplished, uh, just being that core figure of bringing these luchadors to America the way he did, being so instrumental in that, like the booking he's done, the places he's turned up. I got a lot of love for Conan. I got to say that just right out here now. Same. Like, um, he was interesting to me in the NWO because he did bring – to me, like some honest swag that uh, Kevin Nash kind of jacked, but <laughs> oh, you know, he glammed onto it super hard. Yep. <laughs> so like he was beneficial, and he also, like you said, he's behind the scenes. He he kind of built some bridges. He's also, I think, not the person to trust all the time about who got like who's mad at each other and what really happened. Oh, no. But that's we're all human <laughs> beings. Um, but like, yeah, what he did uh, in Mexico and add to me. I'm said it a lot, and I joked around with Lucha Underground because we just say that. That's a, a running joke from the fact that people can't book Pentagon. And if you watch Lucha Underground, he was the second coming of all things good. Um, but Conan, who he worked with, uh, what's his name, uh, from 
NXT or WWE. Yeah, Ricochet, um, aka yeah, and Puma. my God, did he make a character like he? Made, he <laughs> Best run of that guy's life. He yeah, compare it, it, compare so. it. Conan would, he could have been um, responsible for people like dying on that show. Sure. And I would have believed it. And he's like, he's hobbling around. Like, those are the people you have to fear when they get a, a cane and they're hobbling and they're more worrisome than they were if they were walking upright because it's like, please don't make me think that you can't do anything bad because, my God, you're not here to do anything good. Man, that vignette of Conan getting, like, a steel cane. Or what, do, you, uh, do you remember that? Man, that's an yeah. all-timer right there. <laughs> so good. Yeah. So props to Conan. Good for him. Yeah, get that money. Uh, be an entertainer. Do your thing. Like, what's he yeah, doing? I think also AEW? booking in, in AAA, and uh, I've heard good things about that as well. So, like, he's got his hand in a lot of different pots, as usual. Okay, I need you to bite your uh, tongue for a moment, because I grew up in this era, so I'm coming from a different place. But I, there's a part of me that has a fondness for the El Matador gimmick. Oh, okay. I'm not saying anything. That's fine. No, nah, because I don't blame you. Like, I understand your point of view. And I'm not saying he even should have been it, but, like, this is where I met him, so I have to put that on the record. And <laughs> even when he was sidestepping people, it's, so, it's corny and it's ridiculous. And, like, Jim Cornette, if it was AEW, Jim Cornette would have a lot to say about, like, oh, he's sidestepping people. It's just, you know, because, but, you know, everything he, I think he just can't do anything that I don't like. It might be the answer. I mean, it's still Tito, so, like, I take your point. Um, I would say in terms of, like, the in-ring action, uh, this is easily the second best match on the show, and it's not great. Like, you could say it's a solid match instead of, like, kind of the more boring ones that came before it. It's not great. I don't know if I call it good. It's solid, and that's because it's got Tito Santana, and even as El Matador, he's freaking great. It's got Ted DiBiase. We know he's great. Um, so, you know, it's not a bad match, I would say. It's probably better than some of the other ones we've seen. So I'll give credit. You know, I'm not, I'm not diametrically opposed to what you're saying. I'm going to say one more controversial thing just for the audience in case I haven't done enough. You know, we're back again, but, um, I like Ricky Steamboat. I'm not, I was about to say as much as the next guy, but the whole point of it is that I don't. Uh, I like Ricky Steamboat, but the way that people talk about Ricky Steamboat, if they said if that if they were talking about Tito, that then that would make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Tito is the underrated Ricky Steamboat, in my opinion. I uh, I really like Ricky Steamboat, but I will say there's nothing he could do that Tito Santana couldn't do. Um, so at the very least, I think you have to put them on the same level. And the only reason people don't is because Steamboat got more opportunities because he rocked the boat more. Um, you know, he he didn't stay in one place forever and kind of be forgotten about. You know, what's the difference between Steamboat becoming the dragon and Tito becoming El Matador? Well, one guy stuck around and said, "Okay, I'll be El Matador. And one guy said, "Uh, nuts to that. I'm going to go and convince Arn Anderson that I'm more than a man, no matter how much he protests it. So that's a great point. He was not afraid to walk away many times. Uh, Folks, you got to disrespect the hell out of his fan for doing the job that he does every week. He's not even getting paid for it. there's a loud vehicle in the background, so I had to hit mute. So I pretty much dropped the um, Tito is the real Ricky Steamboat, and Ricky Steamboat is not, and had to hit mute and leave Miss Fanta uh, to handle that one, and he handled it well. So, 
I don't know what people are going to think. I'm not knocking Ricky Steamboat. He's a former world champion. But, like, there's nothing that Ricky Steamboat can do or has done that I don't think El Matador could do at least as well. Sure. I, I'm sure there's someone out there who'd get mad at that. But I think, by and large, people, at least the people who listen to our show, would probably agree. I'll be surprised if we get a lot of pushback in our circle about that because I have yeah I don't know I don't know we'll we'll see maybe some people will be mad but I don't know I could see Tito going an hour with Ric Flair easy you know so it it could happen no doubt Ricky Steamboat supposedly had the greatest match of all time at Wrestlemania 3 to to people (laughs) it's not even the best match that either man had I'll tell you this and maybe maybe this one some people will disagree with but I like uh, Savage vs. Flair at WrestleMania more than I like Savage vs. Steamboat at WrestleMania. Nice. Um, I don't know if it would be top fifty if I started counting. Yeah, right. Like I, I don't, I don't know. It's a fantastic yeah. match, Steamboat vs. Savage. But wrestling, I mean, it, it, it's yeah, like you said, if you had to count them all out, like it, it would not stack up i think to some like it's fantastic it's awesome it deserves a lot of praise but you know there are better matches out there for sure yeah if you want to say it's historical it's a paradigm shift yeah, like people weren't yeah. doing that in that company and they did it on a grand stage and it deserves to be uh have reverence i am with you on all of that um, <laughs> but, but i'll just... also say this uh tito santana and greg valentine we're having better matches than that for the IC title just a couple of years before that. And uh, they're out there if you want to seek them out. Just incredible all-timer matches between those two. Man, that, I might have to dip in today eventually. Because, again, it's not even knocking Steamboat. But the man, he got to be a world champion with Ric Flair. He got to have that match with Savage that people still talk about. I'm just saying. And... Yeah, it's definitely not a knock on Steamboat because there's not a lot of people I don't think that could do those things, mm, yeah. you know, because it's, it's a very special set skill set. But it, it really does feel like Tito, at least in the generation I watch, Tito is the invisible Ricky Steamboat. Mm, mm, yeah. No, I'll I'll say it again. He's the Ricky Steamboat who just sort of accepted what came his way and never rocked yeah. the boat. You know, poor guy. Um, and I don't blame him because like Steamboat took some insane chances at times like he got thrown out of his most successful run in a lot of ways and fortunately he was able to kind of recover and do even more incredible things but man he could have just uh vanished off the face of the earth if he wasn't careful so steamboat took some wild chances tito didn't and uh you know it turned out the way it did who else moves like them is there other people to put in this category because they're just so they're so smooth uh, their defense, their offense, their abilities, like it's, it's very similar to me, but uh, there's not a lot of guys that kind of move like it's like um, some Avatar stuff in a way. <laughs> it kind of is. I would maybe um, think about putting Mysterio in that range, although Ooh. he is not uh, quite as fiery. He's more uh, airy, I think. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's it's a short list, I think. It's like air bending is what it is. Like the way, like when you watch. Um, let me, uh, we got trains, by the way, for the next four or five weeks, so that's <laughs> where yeah, I'm at. They, they put up with our, our um, smoke alarms and stuff in the past. They'll survive, so. Okay, so um, if you ever watch Avatar, when they're airbending, you can see the air, and they start kind of moving in slow motion and bending a certain, certain type of way. Like Steamboat, Tito, I would say Mysterio, but these guys, 
in real time. You can see that smoke in that bend, and they're going like 100 miles per hour. Yeah. And so, like, again, I think I'm working my way. I think I always like to start by dropping, you know, bombs that don't need to be as big of a deal as they are, but that's my that's my rhetorical <laughs> way. Um, it's definitely not a knock on steam, but what I'm saying is, for God's sake, put some respect on the name of Tito Santana, El Matador, whoever he is. This man should be a champion. This man should be building stars and being a star at the same time. Um, Bobby Eaton is a slow-mo. He doesn't do that moving like that, but he can... He can stand still and punch you in some house like that. So that's another smooth guy. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, he, he, he lands in that category as well. Instead, we got DiBiase. This is a weird thing. So we got Sherry hitting DiBiase by accident and then DiBiase turning around and pinning Virgil. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah, know what, I don't know what happened at the end here. Um, yeah, Sherry hits Ted, so you think Virgil's like going to win again. Then Repo Man, like... I don't think he even did a move. He just sort of, like, ran into Virgil. Virgil fell over, and Ted recovered from the shoe, I guess. Just pinned him. So, very weird finish. I don't know what to make of that. It's funny. I forgot Repo was in this match. But yeah, Repo, who is intentionally forced to move in a weird way, you know, with an exaggerated motion, and Tito, who's not doing that. But, yeah, Tito's the one that's got all that, that Avatar-like uh, action around him. I wonder who... Who who got the worst of it when Demolition broke up? Because mm. Axe had to retire. We'll never see him again. Smash had to become Repo Man. Crush got fired. He'll come back. He'll be Crush again later, and he'll go through all these weird gimmicks and stuff. So I, I don't know who came out the worst of all this. I'll just say poor Demolition and leave it at that. Yeah, I think if they needed money, Axe got the worst of it. If they did not need the money, then Axe got the best of it. <laughs> I hope Axe had the money, because he had a very successful career before being Axe. Um, so hopefully he was well set. I love Axe. You know Axe is my guy, so he was my favorite yeah. of Demolition. This is also a reminder that Vince McMahon never forgives. And, you know, Lord knows he might still be mad at Demolition and, and purposely making fools out of some of these guys. It's very possible. I, You know, the pettiness does not know any bounds. Okay, so that matchup happened, and then we got nothing left except for the main event. Hulk Hogan is the challenger. The Undertaker is the heavyweight champion. Uh, that was, I guess, maybe Sunday night, Saturday night, whenever Survivor Series ran, and this is Thursday Tuesday night, night. probably. Thanksgiving, right? Yeah, so we're right back on it. Gene Oakland is with Hulk Hogan, who is a shell of himself. And one way to measure, <laughs> now that we've watched this, is... Hulk Hogan makes big, ridiculous claims his whole career. The less they make sense and the more you notice them, the more he is off his truth. That's interesting. Tell me, tell me more about that. Yeah, because he's always saying, like, oh, this is the worst thing that ever happened, and this will be the best day ever, and the Hulkamaniacs got slaughtered. Like, and I, like this one says he's a hitman that's going to – you know, so when you're in the feud with Andre – he can talk out of the side of his mouth and it can be ridiculous, but the feud is so big that you think it's somehow warranted or Hulk Hogan is so over that you're like, oh, it's warranted with his Hulkamaniacs. Mm, but yeah. then I think starting with Warrior or Zeus around that time, it's almost like he started making those big claims and suddenly there's an echo in the room and you, you hear his voice after his voice and there's a nakedness and there's no reaction. And it's just as a sad man making big claims instead of like Hulk Hogan, mm. you know. And this is how he gets down to 95 pounds. It's like he's, you know, it's a thinner version of Hulk Hogan in every way, making the claims year after year after year until it's like just his bones 
you know, making bare claims and there's nobody responding to it. Yeah. If not the hunger strike, then maybe every time you made a claim that wasn't true and he wasn't <laughs> over enough for it, one of his muscles flew away. So. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> that's so good. Oh, man. I said, yeah, like he does his recap here. And it's ridiculous, but I got to bring this because I was looking over my notes of when I watched uh, through kind of the TV product of this time and the promos, like the little, you know, backstage quick hit promos that Hogan was doing at this time were just nuts on TV. At one point he did a promo and he says, what happened at Survivor Series was a tragedy. And then he describes surprisingly vividly being autopsied while still alive and claims that if Undertaker did it, he would find tiny Hulkamaniacs in his body that he would have to fight for all of eternity. I swear I'm not exaggerating or making this up. This was Hulk Hogan's rhetoric leading up to this match. That is wild. I've never heard that in my life, and I have not heard anything that crazy since he went to the back of Survivor Series and said Undertaker dropped him on his head. <laughs> Drop on his head about a, a foot from the can from the uh, chair. So Jesus, yeah, That's, oh, God, yeah. He starts this promo off. This is what I mean. He says this is the happiest day in Hulkamania. <laughs> Do you believe that? These these are the words of a desperate man who understands that he has lost some popularity, but does not understand why. Yes, and that's why. And that's what you get. The I I, I haven't taught like basic grammar, but like. The um, happiest, like, maybe start with happy and see if that even, like, I don't even know if this is a happy day in Hulkamania, even if he wins the belt. <laughs> is it happier? Uh, maybe then versus Zeus and, and nothing else. Happiest. So this is bigger than beating the Iron Sheik. It's bigger than getting hired by WWF. It's bigger than slamming Andre the Giant. It's bigger than, you know, no, it's not. Do you remember when Hulk Hogan came out in street clothes to do that contract signing with Andre the Giant? And yeah. it was such a great segment. And just, it's wild to me how this guy, you know, that worked so amazingly well. That that led us to, like, some of the most successful stuff ever. And this guy just can't recognize that that is what worked. Instead, he's like, well, I have to exaggerate more and more and more until I'm not even like a recognizable human cartoon anymore. Like, just exaggerate and lie and don't be authentic and don't be vulnerable. And that somehow will get me back to where I was when I was actually being authentic and vulnerable. Like, it's wild. I don't know if it's just laziness because he knows he's leaving or if it is just desperation or something, but man, we feel like we're about a million miles away from that segment that I was referencing. Yeah. I think too, we don't have the internet at this time. We don't have explicit patterns, but this is the part-time wrestler. Like this is the guy whose mind is on Hollywood. Yeah. It drops in to give a promo and you can like it or not like the you just supposed to appreciate his presence because he showed up this week. <laughs> yeah, instead of being so hooked in to all these uh, storylines and angles and wrestlers like he was when he was on the come up, when he was making his name, his name is made now. He's not putting that effort in anymore. This is like, you know, I'm not saying he doesn't think about these promos before he does them, but this is like, you know, make it up. BS your project, you know, when you have to present it in class from like the night yeah. before, you know, this Absolutely. is not doing the legwork like he used to do. Yeah, he, you don't get much smarter and instinctual for what he could do. And like, you can tell this is an unplugged hole. Like, he's not plugged in. 
And you can't like I get why you think you can get away with that, whether you're John Cena, whether you're Hulk Hogan, whether you're anybody else. Like you get so high. Yeah. Like you can't get any higher. So why? Like, I understand like you go somewhere else. But then you also realize this is you again, like hitting that slow. Like you don't see that slow burn, though, like of what you're losing along the way. And then when you just try to step back into the role, like it's just inherent in you and you didn't build it up. I think that's where the nakedness kind of shows up. Yeah. This is the kind of thing he could have gotten away with a few years earlier, but now, like, you can just see step-by-step that move to that Royal Rumble reaction that he's going to get. We've been getting there for a long time, but, man, we're right on the doorstep now. Absolutely. I'll go ahead. I wrote this down in my uh, match notes, and I didn't know we were going to have this conversation, but I want to give him some props, though, because the flip side of this, ever since we got to the 1990s, I feel like Hulk Hogan is too old, too stale, and, like, Hulkamania is dead, and it's almost embarrassing watching it. And five years from now, he's going to have a peak run in WCW. It's on par with, like, peak 80s. And 11 years from now, he's going to have a monster match with the Rock at WrestleMania. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's wild to think about the ups and downs of Hulk Hogan, because um, I've been watching through WCW recently, as I've talked about now and again. And, like, yeah, from 96 to even into 98, like, Hollywood Hogan, like, it works. It's so good, but, God, now I'm getting into 99, and he's going back to, like, the baby face, but it's like a tweener thing, and it's horrible, and you're like, how did I ever like this? So, you know, it's it's wild, you know, the ups and downs of Hulk Hogan are dizzying over the years, and there's no explanation for it at the end of the day, just, like, either it works or... Or it doesn't work, and you can come up with all kinds of reasons, but man, it is just, it's wild to think about. It's also the desperation of WCW and the idiocy of Vince Russo that eventually everybody's going to have a mouth like Steve Austin, and they think that, like, oh, well, you know, Steve Austin got over because he, he used profanity, you know, so like red and yellow Hulk Hogan's going to make a return, and then he's all of a sudden going to use more profanity than he's ever used in his life, and it's like, oh, like Steve Austin that did that. Like, and I think Hoovitude's going to be the rock of WCW at one point. Yeah, oh, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a wild time, and it, it's Never, hard to explain it all. <laughs> they pissed me off, and so I quit watching wrestling in 99. It was my whole life from 91 until then, and... Like, Hogan in the red and yellow, too, is one of the... Like, I never wanted to see that again. And then to see that variation that comes, it's it's, it's sad on so many levels. Yep, it really is. Right now, his life is on the line, though, because he is the <laughs> challenger. But our champion is the Undertaker. Uh, yep, so he, he's going out, and uh, he gets attacked by Undertaker and Paul Bearer. As he gets to the ring, he throws them both off, of course... Uh, but Undertaker keeps coming at him. I mean, if you watch the Survivor Series match, you pretty much saw the match already. Like, it's not much different. Undertaker is going to choke him a lot, and, um, you know, that's kind of the bulk of the action until we get to the shenanigans with Ric Flair coming down. Absolutely. Um, the one thing I did, like, when they come to the ring and Paul Bearer's got the urn and Undertaker's got the belt and they're wearing black, like, the belt and urn are, they, that's a nice look. That's a nice uh contrast with them i I think it looked pretty good i would say in spite the simplicity of the match it's not a bad match it's not really a good match either but there's something about it that kind of works like it's not um it's not a bomb or anything it's just you know it's like a simple match it's there to kind of set up the story that's going to happen um so yeah i mean that's where we're at with it 
Yeah. Undertaker runs off the rope and falls down, and I'm really shocked that Vince McMahon didn't fire him after this. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been enough for some, but if Vince likes you, then he'll forgive any number of things. So It just, like, with his gimmick at that time, it was like, I don't even know if he's still alive. Like, he's just tripping on the rope. Like, it, it, it just seems so hard for Gorilla and Bobby to be like, well, what happened to The Undertaker? Because, like... <laughs> Like, it's such a human thing to fall in. Like, he's so not human right now. Well, you know, when you're dead, your nerves don't always, like, connect to the <laughs> yeah. right place. So, <laughs> you know what's weird, though? I never thought about this much before, but I feel like you never hear about Vince McMahon and, you know, the man behind Undertaker interacting. Mm. Like, I come up with almost no stories about that, except maybe, like, in recent years where Vince would call up Taker and be like, can you please come do another WrestleMania, you know? So, yeah. But besides that, like, you never hear about them interacting. I'm sure the stories are out there. I just never heard them, so that's kind of a weird curiosity. Yeah, I also want to know, and like, we know that he's going to become kind of the locker room leader, almost the Andre the Giant of an era to come. Like, sure, I would love to know how he goes from, like, rookie winning the world title, being the Undertaker at Paul Bear. Like, what is the transition where he starts to be accepted as, like, this guy's the leader of our locker room? <laughs> I think it's so telling. I don't know if this is just, like, narrative or what, but when Ultimate Warrior is becoming champion, like, you couldn't move, but you trip over a story of some wrestler being like, this was a terrible idea. I told Vince McMahon that this was a disaster. Um, you know, like, I think Savage and DiBiase and others, like, all voiced their concerns. But here you have Undertaker, who's very young, like, like early 20s, I think, um, a rookie, here he is winning the title, beating Hulk Hogan, and yeah, it's only for like a week, but man, you sure don't hear any stories about that, so I don't know if Undertaker was just that well-liked, or if that's just not in the narrative, because everyone loves Undertaker, you know, over the years, or what, but I am now very curious what the reaction was about that backstage. Yeah, and when I think about it, it's almost like, even with that that whole crew that he has later, sure. like with the cl- with the clicks behavior... He's almost like he's the anti, like the click has power manipulating and being in Vince's ear. And then Bret Hart is almost like the Undertaker, but with a giant ego. So Bret Hart could almost be the contrast to the click, except for like when it comes to his stuff, he he starts behaving poorly. And then like in the middle of all that, you got the Undertaker. And I think this is in my notes way later. Um, I'll just say it now because we're here in this conversation. Is there anything in this world like Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, and The Undertaker? Because these guys are not just simply booked like to be with each other. Like they're it's almost the opposite of that. Like The Undertaker is gonna go on an adventure where it's almost like we can't have him in title matches. He's like a special attraction. Like he's gonna die and he's gonna wrestle himself and he's gonna you know, he's gonna get so far away from the title. Whereas Bret Hart's going to be the guy, and then Shawn Michaels is going to be the guy. But these three pillars, you know, Yokozuna is going to be the guy, and then he's never going to be again. Diesel's going to be the guy, and he's never going to be again. Lex Luger's going to be pushed, and it's never even going to happen. But no matter what you do, and no matter what direction you go, like these three pillars of Michaels, Bret, and Undertaker from here to 97 are going to be with us, and they're going to interact and weave in and out of each other's lives in a way that has almost nothing to do with booking. Like it's, it's, I think it's going to be some of the most compelling stuff uh, in some of the years to come. Oh, absolutely. And what a, what, a, what a thing to say to focus on those three, but just think about just The Undertaker for a minute. 
like, he just retired, and, you know, a lot of the stuff in the past 10 years is, like, you know, one-off, like, part-time, hardly there, but, man, he is going to be such a mainstay of this company for so long and go through so many iterations of his character. Like, I'm, I'm a little up and down on The Undertaker compared to the past, but, man, like, you just look at the longevity and the breadth and the width of his work and, like... There's a, there's, there's a lot there that you can really show appreciation for. Yeah, I went in, in five seconds of doing the show when Undertaker debuted, I think, in 90. I went from either I'm not going to be interested in this guy or he'll be that weird attraction. Like, oh, WWF's different than WCW because of The Undertaker and they do mm-hmm. stuff like this. To, like, if he retired at the end of this Tuesday in Texas, he feels like a legend to me. <laughs> yeah, what an impact he made. And credit to him, like he he's it's it's not just coincidence, like he's doing it really well. He has some kind of presence. His matches, you know, are interesting in different ways and just there's a lot of love you can show to the Undertaker. And to Paul Bearer, I would not discount his influence on this at all. Yeah. You you talk about Shawn Michaels is not gonna win a world title till nineteen ninety six. Mm-hmm. And that title ring's not gonna be great. There's gonna be a lot of metrics, you know, against it. And Bret Hart, like even Bruce Pritchard said that Bret Hart probably would have been a world champion, but he would not have been a world champion when he was without the steroid scandal. Mm. And Undertaker's in front of both of them. Yeah. Like, this doesn't need to be the new generation. It doesn't need to be a gimmick. It doesn't need to be like a hard pivot because like the world's caving in. Undertaker's already been there and done that before they others even thought about it. And I've just never had that order in my head until like we went through the series. But man, Undertaker is the first and the last. Yeah. Like Shawn Michaels is going to come back and have a second career. Undertaker is the first and Undertaker is the last. Yeah, yeah, no. Undertaker uh, just the way he is a pillar of this company for so long is uh, amazing really. So you you've got to show appreciation for that. Yeah. And like you said Paul Bear is great. Undertaker is great. The gimmicks are so big and so great, but yet if I was watching him and I was on my smartest day, and, and someone said, you know, he's going to last another 20 years. The thing that would make me say that you might be right is the signature moves that are like walking the ropes, mm. doing that floating clothesline, sitting up after he falls down. It's like how signature even the smallest Undertaker thing is to me that goes beyond even like the biggest, grandest parts of his gimmick. Yeah. It's funny, I don't even know if I can articulate what's the difference between Repo Man creeping around and Undertaker mm. sitting up like Frankenstein, but somehow there's just a world of difference between them, and I think it's just a felt sense thing. Yeah, and but to be fair, if you go back to the beginning of The Undertaker, even though I liked him from the gate, like when he was moving super slow, and he kind of felt like a zombie, and the fans didn't really know how to react, mm. like... For five seconds, he ran the same risk as the Repo Man. Sure, absolutely. But he worked his way, like, between, I guess, WWF allowing it and giving an opportunity, but mostly himself, like, I think he knew, like, somewhere the Repo Man's got to say, you know, I know they told me to bend down and, like, giggle and, you know, <laughs> but maybe I'll do a little bit less, like, on, on both of those fronts. Right, right. I think also you, you mentioned uh, in previous episodes that Jake Roberts talked to Undertaker a lot yep. about his character and gave him guidance on that. And I think, once yep. again, I just have to wonder what the WWF would have looked like if Jake Roberts really had been given 
Pat Patterson's creative spot, as promised, that does not pan out and causes Jake to leave the company at WrestleMania. Yeah, that's a tough one because uh, can you trust Jake to be consistent? Sure, either? yeah. I mean, maybe it would have been disaster because he had demons, you know, coming at the wazoo, and everybody knows that. But the good that he did also creatively is just astounding. So oh, yeah. it's always going to be a good big question mark. Yeah, no, he he's a guy. Um, he's a guy that helps get Steve Austin over, and not just on scene. Yeah, yeah. So. He's even without getting the job, he still did the things that we imagine he might would have done. <laughs> oh, Jake, poor, poor Jake. Not that um, I've heard plenty of stories of him also having bad behavior like crazy, but also like yeah. you reference the stuff that this guy went through. Man, yeah. what a life! Like I wouldn't wish on anybody. Yeah, and I, I was watching. I can't remember some screenwriter talking about every great story begins with a character in their wound, mm. and. Jake Roberts was a character who knew his wound. Oh, yeah. We didn't even have to know him. This is what's... We didn't... like. It's only more recently that we know his wound. But he knew his wound, and we knew there was a wound. Whew. What a life. What a story. Yeah. Um, Flair, to me, is having the most um, passive, aggressive, hands-off, (laughs) low-key, like, monster run, because... Like, he's almost doing nothing and looking small, but when you think about him in the context of the dirtiest player in the game, you realize Hulk Hogan gets to jump on Flair when Flair comes out. He knocks him out with a chair, and then Flair's going to use the chair, but Hogan's going to throw Undertaker into it instead of Hogan. But then, like, the, 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 the amazing thing about Flair is that you realize he doesn't care if Hulk Hogan wins. He doesn't care if the Undertaker wins. He just wants to pick up Jack Tunney while cheating is going on so he can continue to sow discord and create a Royal Rumble where the world title is held up. (laughs) One way or another, yes, he creates uh, enormous chaos here. Um, So, yeah, interesting thing in all this, and uh, Mythic already laid it out for you, but, man, Flair comes down. Um, he's Jack Tunney's at ringside. Flair and Tunney are, are talking. They're confronting each other. And Hogan grabs that chair, slams Flair into Tunney, and Tunney is just wiped out. And Hogan does not give one crap about that. Like he doesn't take a single second to even glance at Jack Tunney, who is now like splayed out on the floor. So, um, if you think that didn't maybe have something to do with Jack Tunney making the decision he did then uh, you should think about that for a second. That's such a smart take. I, I would not think about that, but that just rings true to the deepest core of myself. <laughs> Jack Tunney is an egomaniac, too. Like, I don't... This man has been in the company the whole time we've been doing the show, and then all of a sudden, like, I, like what is he sitting at ringside? Like, what's the point of that? What's he going to do? We see what he does when it happens, but, man, I think he's got a Hulk Hogan ego uh, along with Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Jack Tunney... Um, an interesting uh, person in, in life, I think. Uh, I, I when I when reading about this guy, it's mostly like he's this miserly guy who runs, um, you know, I think Toronto, the the wrestling scene there, and they kind of made this deal with him so they could run there more easily, and that's really the only reason he's there is because he was kind of like a dick promoter in his own right, and then he gets all these weird little pockets of relevance, and mostly he's like not even there, and yet somehow he's better for it. Like, it's yeah. better that he's not in the business all the time, and it kind of makes this moment feel a little more important. So, I don't know. Somehow it all works out well, but it's very strange if you really look at it. Oh, yeah. I love it on a storyline 
perspective because he's doing anytime. This is why you got to have history and consistency because then when someone does something against that, it matters. But at the same time, when his when his like like super old Mister Belding looking self like is sitting at ringside, like Mister Belding couldn't stop Zach Morris, so like he's not stopping Hulk Hogan and the Undertaker, and he doesn't. So like I don't know what his point is. And he does the same thing with Jake Roberts, and I guess with Bad News Brown, like when he's there, he wants to feud with the, the with the heels, I think, and. Gorilla Monsoon should have been watching closely because Vader and Steve Austin are going to teach some folks that this is not going to work in any era, but, like, (laughs) nobody's going to learn the lesson, I guess. Oh, well, you know, everybody thinks, oh, well, when I'm in charge, it'll be different. You know, I'll I'll control these people. Uh, And that's very true to life, I think. It's very easy to sit there and be like, oh, well, I can do better than him. Uh, Maybe not when you get the job. Yeah, anybody can do better, in theory, on the couch, you know. Man, I could run every wrestling company, but then, like, oh, my God. Imagine, like, every single day making every single choice and just wanting to, like, and then, like, all these egomaniacs coming back there to let you know about your choices. Yep, and your money's on the line, and you make the wrong choice, then you're sunk, and, uh, you know, everyone hates you no matter what you do. And, yeah, I don't envy any promoter, anything that they do, even though most promoters are terrible people anyway, so I don't really feel sympathy for them either. (laughs) So one of the greatest things in the world, um, we also talk about babyface privilege on the show, and sometimes people might, we might even think we just made it up on, on a bad day, but um, Hulk Hogan, after cheating, uh, after throwing Undertaker into a chair, will roll the Undertaker up and get the pin, and Ric Flair, like I said, will pick up Jack Tunney, so he has to see it, and Girl of Monsoon's uh, quote here is, I don't care what Jack Tunney thought he saw or saw. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> Uh, yeah, trying to um, replace reality with what you would like it to be is definitely a big baby face move. So <laughs> this is great. I love that all these years of watching Hulk Hogan cheat, and we've seen it over and over and over again. You and I, we've covered it. We've unearthed it year after year. Hulk Hogan cheating his ass off. Finally, finally, Ric Flair takes Jack Honey and like literally puts his face up to the glass to see what's happening, and that finally will will clue Jack Tunney into the fact that Hulk Hogan is a cheater. Man, yeah, that should be a meme right there, because like <laughs> that is what you got to do with some people in order to get them to see what they don't want to see, and like it's like a, a limp body, you know, and he's even hanging his head probably so that because that's the only thing left that can get him to not see it. But you know, this time it's gonna be seen. Uh, I know the two. I think Undertaker is the perfect guy to win and lose this belt because mm. I've said for years now the way that you beat babyface Hulk Hogan is that you don't play his rhetoric games with him. Like the moment LeBron James was like this. LeBron James, when he ruled over the East, was almost like we're all best friends and we just spend time together. And then he would shake their hands on the courts and Paul George, like they all think, oh, this is my big buddy. LeBron James, and then he would beat them because it actually is a competition, even though he would pretend like it's not. And Hulk Hogan's the same way. Like, Hulk Hogan's got this rhetoric, you know, like, oh, well, you killed all the children, and I am mad, and you're the bad guy, and Andre the Giant was always a heel. And if you, if you, jo- if you join him in his rhetoric, you've already lost. Well, if you're cold and gray and dead, and you might not even understand what wrestling is, but somehow you're out there doing it, you can't feed into that. So the Undertaker is the perfect guy in that way just to come along and thwart like the the Hulk Hogan title reign. But I think he's also the kind of guy who might lose the belt because he's green and gray at the same time. And like I don't know if he wants to be world champion. I don't know if he knows what it entails. 
So, like, I can see <laughs> someone getting the belt off of him right after, like, he gets the belt because I don't know if he's quite solidified what all this means uh, to The Undertaker at this time. Right. Is he actually aware of what the belt is in his zombie mind? We don't know yet. He has yeah. to come to life a little bit more before he understands that. Look how he brings it out, like, when he walks out. Like, it's just hanging by his side, and, like, <laughs> like you really don't know. And so he's that perfect go-between, especially what he's go He's going between people that watched it this time had no sense that there was a past or a future. Like, yeah. Ric Flair was the greatest thing that ever happened, except for Hulk Hogan, who was the greatest thing that ever happened. <laughs> and now you got these two, like, almost next to each other. And, like, a one-year veteran, dead gray undertaker, like, rises up between them. <laughs> it is so strange. It's wild. It's nuts. We're, we're coming up on not only the Royal Rumble, which is going to be great, but also right after that, we're going to have the press conference where they pick the new champion and we're just going to see legends of every color lined up, um, you know, of every shade to, to, to see who's going to challenge for that title at WrestleMania. And it just shows you the depth and variety of this main event scene. Cause like you said, we got Hogan and Flair who are like historic towering figures, but then you've got like Undertaker and you've got Sid and Savage is back from being retired and he's every color of the rainbow and just all these guys standing together. And it, it's, it's a wild scene. You got to appreciate it. Man, I don't know how to say this. Like when I, when I feel my most creative and my most plugged in, Everything in the world becomes like watercolors. It's like you could touch it and it would become soft and wet and you would sink into it. And WWF in 1992 was nothing but watercolors. Mm. Like Sid's hair, even in that press conference, is a watercolor. <laughs> Randy Savage's outfit is a watercolor. You know, and I watched that. Like WCW was somehow my favorite promotion. And I liked everything about WWF better at this time. <laughs> Because it wasn't me. Like, I was in W.A. as a kid because, like, I, I came from the South. Like, my home life was a little bit gritty and a little bit tough. Um, and WWF was colorful. And it was almost too happy for me because I didn't know how to, like, my narrative, like, if you be happy, it's like the Jake Roberts thing we said. If you're happy, you're just setting yourself up to not be happy and you're going to make a fool out of yourself. And why would you do that? Yeah. So, like, I could never relate to WWF in this era, but I could look at it. And just swim in the colors, like the yellows and the blues. And it's just like the most beautiful thing in the world. And I watched that press conference and Sid standing up and getting embarrassed and all that. Like, I had no personal interest. I didn't care if Hulk Hogan got it or Sid got it or Savage. Like, none of them were anything to be my personal favorite wrestlers. But I just, I was just baffled at it. Like, it was a world, like, that was not like the world, but it was not like other things on TV. And it was just colors and swimming and joy. So, like, I want to hold on to these next few shows as long as we can because, man, it's like I've always said, like, when WWF is off its game, it's, it's just this weird, obnoxious thing. But when they are what they are, they are something like nothing else in the existence of humanity. Yeah, I think from SummerSlam 91 to WrestleMania, at least, it's just such a bright, wonderful time for the WWF. And after that, maybe swing back the other way because they're going to lose a lot of guys like we talked about and WCW will be doing Dangerous Alliance and War Games and all this mm -hmm. great stuff so I think they're going to pull ahead at that point uh, to some extent but yeah I mean in this moment I think there's no contest we're just in a brilliant era of the WWF here it is imagine like Ric Flair winning the Royal Rumble 
Mm. It's one of the greatest pay-per-views, like you said, Bobby Heenan's performance, Flair's performance. But, man, going in before you know Flair's going to win, you got like five to ten ways you probably could go, and you're good. Oh, absolutely. Like, who gets that? Who has that? And I don't know. I don't know. Again, I don't know why I'm so um, soft here with The Undertaker, but it's like this weird gray zombie is the one who gave us all of this. It's great. I, I, I completely understand it. You know, he brought something... He brought some kind of spark to the scene, and it, it just seemed to work, you know, despite what it might look like on paper. So I am a fan of The Undertaker. I think uh, there's a ton of great stuff that we'll be able to say about him over time. Uh, I'm just curious, and this is my mission for you and I. we got to watch this man to see when when does he come back to life, because right now he's still dead, I think, but eventually he'll be a person. So you and I will have to look out for that. Yeah, that'd be wild. Is it before or after he wrestles himself, you know? (laughs) (sighs) Was it Domino's Pizza? Oh, man, I don't know if Domino's Pizza uh, was the uh, sponsor for for SummerSlam or not. But, man, it's such a bizarre because when is SummerSlam? That's 1994. Yep. So that is um, Brett and Owen? Yep, in the cage. That's the same night as Undertaker versus Undertaker. Yeah, you got it. Oh, oh Lord. Okay. What a what a contrast, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then Ted DiBiase has got the. It was a. We'll get to it when we get to it. But yeah, I am with you. I want to track all the kind of plot points of the Undertaker and kind of because I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, there's times that it's like he's going to be a special attraction that I, I have a feeling that they said in the back like, no, you don't put him in title matches because like he's a special attraction. Sure. And yet there's times where he's going to be, like, big time in the title picture, so. Yep, there's going to be a lot of different pathways for Undertaker, so it'll be very interesting to watch. All right, so that is this Tuesday night in Texas. We leave on a cliffhanger. Um, So I'm going to let you kind of just, you know, take the lead and do what you want to do because we are now, Miss Fan's giving us some bonus stuff and, man, some good stuff. Yeah, it's some very interesting stuff. Uh, we'll go through it a little bit quickly because uh, we are running a little short on time. And I knew this would happen because it was a short show and I'm like, oh, there's not much to talk about. So, of course, we end up going like the full three hours. That's always how it happens. So Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. First I am, I am staying with my girlfriend for the next five weeks and I guaranteed her that there's no way we go three hours today. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's just no – like it's a short show. Yep. And we haven't done it in a long time. Like, you know, the, like <laughs> I'm even aware that even when we say it, we especially go three hours, and I still said we wouldn't go three hours. Yeah, yeah, I, I fell for the same trap, so it's all good, though. We're having a great show. I hope everyone out there is having a great time listening. Um, I have, I think, put these links up on uh, Twitter. I definitely did it in the forum, so check them out. If I haven't, I'll put them up before the show airs. Uh, i got three bonus matches and one segment to cover. Um First match to cover, uh, <laughs> I kind of broke my own rule. Uh, usually I would never, ever, ever pick a match with Jim Duggan for bonus, but uh, I had to pick this one, and uh, I don't know if I ended up regretting it or not, but we've got Randy Savage and Jim Duggan taking on Undertaker and Jake Roberts the night after this Tuesday in Texas. WWF is in Austin. Uh, They're taping this for a future Coliseum exclusive. Um, I picked this for two reasons. One, because it's Savage and Jake right after this show, and I thought they'd be fired up as hell. And I'll be honest, they were not as fired up as I hoped. Two, this is one of the match where 
only you get a chance to see Savage fight The Undertaker, and unfortunately that barely happened either. So I was a little disappointed in this. It's not a bad match, but um, I don't know. What was your thought on this one here? Number one, I respect the hell out of you for being able to have a standard and also break it. <laughs> you know, because when I saw it, my first thought was, like, we didn't have to watch Jim Duggan, and he gave us Jim Duggan. Like, that was a – I don't think it was a thought. It was just, like, a rising impulse because I saw Jim Duggan's name. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, like, I would rather you break your standards and just have that standard. I think I feel the same way as you, like – this didn't come close to living up to its potentials. Yeah. I don't think you get these lame excuses from the baby face. I think probably Sean Mooney, like, Oh, they didn't want to wrestle anyway. They just want to beat somebody up. Well then, you know, don't waste my time with a wrestling match. Like, you know, so it's like, it's like baby faces on bad behavior more than the specific feud that we're in. I was, just uh, I was so excited at the idea of seeing this Randy Savage fight this undertaker and it just, it barely happens. They barely cross paths. That was the big disappointment for me. I agree. That's what I mean, because, like, somehow Duggan was feuding with Undertaker and Savage was feuding with Jake. And, you know, it's like, oh, they got to beat them up. And then you realize just how stupid and senseless and pointless uh, Duggan is. Because I don't think he's going to feud with either of them. But they still, like, they just came to beat people up because they're mad at them. Well, no, he's not mad at them. That's just what he does with his career. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he could have just as easily caused the DQ, although uh, it is Savage here, just brings in a chair, and he does it quite randomly, too. I have to say, I was disappointed also. We said such great things about Randy Savage, and he deserved them all, and here in this match, I don't know, I just, I wasn't feeling it the way I expected I would, you know, I thought he'd be in there like a house of fire, but I guess maybe just being a Coliseum exclusive or whatever, he was yeah. not going to put out that kind of effort, and I get that, and I even respect that to a point, but man, I was just hoping, when I saw this on paper, I had high hopes, and I guess I fooled myself, so I don't know if I'd really recommend checking this match out, it is interesting to some extent, but it is not as good as I hoped it would be. Yeah, and I still don't. I don't regret that we that we went after it. It makes sense to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But before Hacksaw makes his return on, like his comeback on Undertaker, my favorite part was when Undertaker first starts working with him. He just starts choking him and dominating him like he's never watched '80s and he doesn't know Hacksaw's gimmick. <laughs> that was my favorite part. But then Hacksaw comes back and it kind of ruined it. I'm very um, pleased that we're kind we, of moving beyond the big Hacksaw, Hacksaw Jim Duggan push era, like. Yeah. Let's get past it, please. Yokozuna, yeah. please come sit on this guy already. Absolutely. I was about to say Yoko's going to let him hold something, and they even put the flag on top of him. And that, you know, a lot of Yoko gives a lot of guys their come up and uh, years later than they deserved it. <laughs> I'm so looking forward to that run. I really like Yokozuna. Yes, we got babyface privilege because uh, uh, Undertaker and Jake do not come out together, and Sean Mooney's like, well, why didn't they come out together? Maybe there's problems between them. And then Savage and Duggan don't come out together, and they just like just glorify their entrances. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And once again, we've done this before, but I will praise uh, Sean Mooney and Alfred Hayes as a pairing right up there, just about with anybody. You know, they they are a delightful pair. Thank you for that, because I have a section here where, and again, we just said you don't compare people. Like, oh, well, is Sean Mooney funnier than Bobby Heenan? No, he's not, but. Sean Mooney, to me, had the potential to be on the same level of the late 80s guys if he had been there long term. Oh, he's and, a great straight man commentator, yeah. I think. It makes me sad because I don't know when he's leaving, but it hit me during this match that, like, we're just going to get the one day and it's not going to be that long that he's just not going to be there anymore. 
It's wild, man. I he's very replaced with Todd. Uh, what's his name? Edding Gale. Yeah, which you know, I I don't even know how to feel about that. I gotta watch him more. But then we're gonna segue to Michael Cole in that role. And man, what if we just kept Sean Mooney this whole time? Yeah, like he's still out there. He could be doing it all the way up to today, and he'd make every product in the meantime better for it. So he's still just as good too. Like I watch him five seconds on the internet, and it's like. It's that same, like, it's just smooth, and it's natural, and it's authentic, and it's just good. I love Sean Mooney. I'm all about that. This is such a loser match. Like, Jake and Undertaker <laughs> win. They win by DQ, and, like, the ba- I hate when baby faces that act like they won something. And I-, I love hearing the announcement, because back then it felt like a smack in the face that the announcer had to say it. But, like, we're supposed to actually think that Jake Savage and Duggan did something wonderful in this in this encounter. All they did was lose by DQ. Yep. Just, 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 yeah, they didn't even do their job, so yeah, shame on them. I agree. I think we came in to watch Savage and Duggan, and we got Duggan and Savage. Uh, yeah, you're so right. Uh, <laughs> well, I learned my lesson. I'll never break my rule again. <laughs> yeah, thankfully you don't have much longer to do so, because Duggan's got to go beat my, uh, Steve Austin in like seven seconds or so. And... Mercy, how did that happen? All right, I'm not going to get sucked into that. Again, <laughs> yes. So. Jesus. Ooh, all right, second match, and this one, I'll just say up front, this one was much more what I hoped it would be. We get a very, very special um, bonus match here. Ric Flair versus Shawn Michaels mm. in Corpus Christi on December 16, 1991, just just on the very verge of Shawn turning heel, but he gets uh, maybe even his last big singles match as a baby face. And this is actually going to be important. I didn't even realize when I put this on here, but this is important to their breakup. But man, just look at that. Ric Flair versus Shawn Michaels. That's something special right there. I think it is. And it almost feels like something you should watch. And then you think, Oh, that kind of sucked because they didn't know Shawn Michaels was going to be the Shawn Michaels. They were going to make him, but Nope. It was special beyond what it should have been, like one half of the Rockers wrestling Ric Flair. Oh, yeah. This this is a pretty great match that I hope that everyone will take the time to check out. I think I, I am at my most sober when I say if I was running a company and my money was on the line, that's when I'm trying to let you know. This is not my personal fandom. This is not. But in 1991, Shawn Michaels is very green as far as, you know, emerging as a single star he's, he's a tag wrestler a rocker sting on the other hand is a former world champion and um he's about to win his second world title very soon and if it was my money on the line and all i knew was the rocker Shawn michaels and the two-time world champion sting and i can start my company with one of them at this time i would have picked Shawn michaels oh sure i mean <laughs> there's a lot of talk and you've mentioned it a few times also, and I understand the narrative. Like, oh, Shawn Michaels, well, he's going to be green. It's almost like you want to make an excuse. Like, oh, he'll probably be bad for, like, a while. He's not. He's no. already so good. Like, maybe not as good as he will be. But I don't know. I always feel like I hear this talk, and I understand where it comes from. But, man, I think it's really overstated because Shawn Michaels is very, very good already. Especially when you think about he's someone who, when he trained to be a wrestler – thought that the outcomes were, like, legit. <laughs> you know, that that's unreal that he's that good right now. Yeah. And that's what you got to pay attention to. You know, there's a, there's a bottom line that's already there, and you can build off of that, and, and he will do that in a million ways. But, like, you're starting with something that's already there that is just kind of that lightning in a bottle type thing. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. So I, I can totally see it's easy to see, I think, why WWF knew they had something in this guy. And even though, uh, as you kind of referenced earlier, by the time he becomes champion, maybe it's not going to work out on the highest level that it possibly could have. But still, like, what a valuable, valuable guy that you yeah. can have around. And he is just going to do some great stuff over the years. And the reason I made the Sting comparison is because Michaels is very small at this time. Yeah. So the match in some ways is more like a Sting match. Like, if you ever, if you can't agree with me on any Lex Luger thing and you're just out there saying, like, what is this guy's problem? Why does he hate Sting? Just watch a Sting flare match and a Luger flare match and just look at who does the military presses and the superplexes and all of that better, you know, which is more believable, which looks like it hurts a man who had a plane accident on his back. And so, like, Michaels has a moment where he's trying to throw Flair off the top like everybody does, but he's almost not tall enough and strong enough that Flair has to throw himself off. And that's more like that Sting. Like, I can see the potentials in Michaels and the potentials in Sting and the limitations. And I'm trying to tell you also, I want to make sure this is clear. This is not me in retrospect. This is me if I was even seven years old. Uh, it was 1991, and all I knew was Michaels is a tag wrestler and Sting is a world champion. Like, I see the similarities, but it feels like Sting, Sting, is, Sting maxes out where Shawn Michaels, Shawn Michaels begins. Mm. Man, I hope we don't have these like, legit Sting fans. That don't mean any harm. <laughs> but I'm just trying to tell you, man. Shawn Michaels, my God. It, it, this match shouldn't be what it is, and it is what it is. <laughs> Brooklyn, CB Mac, you're listening. We love you, of course. Uh, yes, defenders. and there's nothing Come wrong. Come to his defense if you like, as always. Uh, like, Sting is like the second best doink, but he's a pretty good doink. So, like, there's no shame <laughs> in liking him. I mean, let's not pretend Sting was even close to Matt Bourne. You know, no, not, not he close. couldn't have done Big Josh. Let's be honest here. So, Sting. We are tried never to. ever gonna be done talking about Sting, are we? Sting will just be with us forever. So, all we try to do though, we like you're just trying to offset, sure, you know, some of the outside narrative. And there's so much. Like Sting got to be the icon of a company, and he was never a decent world champion. <laughs> So like when you can when you can straighten that out for me, then I'll straighten out my tone. Uh, I'm sorry. I think what I was saying was like there's nothing wrong with being a Sting fan. Is actually what where I started with that. So like, and I mean that. Like who you like? Um, like again, I mentioned Zach Morris. Like there's nothing. Like it's kind of Sting probably went to Bayside High and like you know pranked this principal and his blonde hair, you know. So Sting is like a less interesting Zach Morris. Oh he's like God. I'm trying to find somewhere where Sting can be the number one, but he's still secondary to everybody. Uh, we'll continue to work on that. We will, I'm sure, because Sting came up like three times in this show. And so I'm sure he'll come up again and again and <laughs> again. So, oh, my God. Um, but, no, this is such a fun match. I barely even took any notes about, like, the action of this match because I was literally just sitting back and enjoying the match that much. I just really, really liked this match. And uh, it made me really wonder... Like, Michael's going to turn heel. It's probably the best thing for him. He's going to be a great heel for a number of years. But I almost wonder, looking at this match, what if Shawn Michaels goes forward as a baby face? Like, what if he goes into that Bret Hart role? Um, I don't know. Like, I think he could have done that, too, and had a lot of success. That would be a fun 1996 conversation because mm. I think there's a difference between being a baby face and being Vince. Like, <laughs> I hate Nash, and I'm not going to defend Nash because Diesel never should have been a world champion if other guys couldn't have been. But... Shawn Michaels will be the same kind of baby face that they make Diesel right before that, and that is a baby face that cannot succeed. Right, yeah. I want to look closely at what Michaels does and what the booking does in that time, because yeah. that, there's a lot in that era that I don't know about, so I'm going to reserve judgment on some of that stuff. That's going to be fun. Um, let me run through my notes real quick. Um, 
because this is a great one. And I hate that we have to push it through. But number one, Sean Mooney and Lord Alfred Hayes are like two old gossips in the community talking about what's the difference between a manager and an executive consultant. And then they're breaking down the roles and everything. I was dying at Alfred Hayes being like, well, an executive uh, does not work for a common stipend. He gets a, yeah. a, a, a fee that, oh, my God, I love that. Alfred Hayes continues to be just this great weirdo who – clearly has like no oversight from Vince McMahon or anybody and is just yeah. out there like doing his own thing and I love it. That is the exact kind of like growing up in a church community like <laughs> like the older people would be talking about like oh they got a new deacon but like so and so is the something deacon so what's the difference between like I want to live in that world like <laughs> that's the problem with too many writers because like the world is too set like nobody has to speculate because we all got our answers pre like loaded into us so just have that random conversation that makes me feel like we're in an actual world. I uh, love those two. Um, Michael's jogs the ringside in the, in the weird, weird world of wrestling. I was thinking you don't have to do that anymore because heels don't behave like that. Only baby faces jog and run and all that garbage. Um, I don't know. I'd love the matchup. Uh, Definitely recommend watching it. Yeah, just go watch it. You don't want to hear us talk about, like, blow by blow, you know. Just go watch the match. Appreciate it. It's very good. It's definitely the best match, I think, that we, we talked about on this set as a match. Um, you know, the in-ring stuff is just, it's great. So check it out. Uh, the finish is very interesting. Uh, Ric Flair will dump Michaels out of the ring. He will kind of hit his head on the railing. Uh, or actually, I think he dives out and, like, Flair gets out of the way. Something like that. He hits his head on the rail. He's just down. He's, like, not moving. And uh, Marty Jannetty runs down in a shirt that says, We Came to Shred in DX, like, font. So I don't know what to make of that. Um, incredibly, Marty Jannetty's solution to this is to literally hoist his unconscious partner wow. into the ring, roll him in and let Ric Flair pin him. And man, that window is calling your name, Marty, because you are <laughs> not being a good partner right now. Yeah, that is textbook. He who will not be named a fourth time because we mentioned him three times on how to get yourself betrayed. <laughs> I was That's just trying cool. to help. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Unbelievable. So, Janetti, with the uh, massive miscalculation, or however you want to look at that, um, instead of it just amazes me because Michaels looks unconscious, and Janetti, instead of calling for help, instead of like trying to get his his partner any kind of help, it's like, well, here you go in the ring, you know, have fun with your match. It's incredible. You want to talk about being flabbergasted, like we talked about with the Undertaker. Imagine watching this matchup and being like, oh, yeah, that's the guy that's going to uh, have that retirement match where he's, like, crying and, and super kicking Ric Flair and putting him out of WWF. Mm, yeah. Like, he's probably so thinking about history. this match. What we didn't know is what he was thinking about when he, he got knocked out and Flair pinned him. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, I agree with Ms. Van. That's probably the best matchup. Definitely check that out. Yeah, please do. And please check out Lord Alfred Hayes just being, like, disgusted at both Janetti and the referee for the way this ends because he, he had no time for any of this shenanigans. So good on you. And at the beginning of the match telling us, wouldn't you want to see him single? Like, uh, wouldn't he be better off just, like, outside the rockers? Yes, he would. I love Alfred Hayes. I love what you said about the random conversations in commentary. Commentary needs more of that, in my opinion. Yes. So, All right, moving along quickly. We have uh, our last match we want to talk about, Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan, Madison Square Garden, December 29, 1991, the rematch of the month before. Um, and uh, I will just say, 
This is another one that kind of disappointed me. I actually kind of enjoyed their match in November. I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was a good example of what they could have done at WrestleMania, something like that. This this was this was like a WCW 1994 match. Like this yeah. was just Hogan sort of um, dominating everyone, uh, you know, kicking out even when Flair is like cheating, uh, just just putting Flair in the figure four, stealing his stuff, kind of shaming him. I was not so much into this. It did not work nearly as well, I thought. I agree. I got my sting compliment. So Flair versus I would got I would take Flair versus Luger, then Flair versus Sting, then Flair versus Hogan in this match in, in that order. Yeah, that, that's probably about right. I don't know. Some of those Flair Sting matches are real stinkers, but yeah, the Please. worst the worst of Flair versus Hogan is about as worse as you could be. I could easily have my mind changed, so please don't do that. I'm trying to <laughs> I'm talking to those two Sting fans that we do love very much and I just I just put him higher than someone else and please don't talk me off that. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll say Flair and Hogan definitely never had a match near as good as that Clash of the Champions, that first famous yep. one between Flair and Sting. So That was Sting's credit. coming out. We missed out on the legacy series, but everybody like that's the that's kinda of the one to go to, I think. Yep, yep, for sure. Yeah, this is this is Hulk Hogan's nonsense, and I think that's part of the reason the match couldn't happen is just because they can't pretend like Flair is good enough to be in the ring with their Hulk Hogan. I don't think. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, if you watch this match if you want. I'm going to spend time on it because I want to talk about the next segment. Make sure we have yeah. time for it. So, um, all right. Yes, we have going into 1992. Our first our first moment in 1992. January 11, Wrestling Challenge. It is Brutus Beefcake's Barbershop, and we have the Rockers on, and they are going to talk about uh, the friction between them that has become so well-known that it's in WWF Magazine now. So what will come of this segment, I wonder? This right here has to be one of the most iconic moments of all time. Oh, absolutely. Everyone knows about this. It's shorthand. You know, for like a team breaking up. This is literally like the archetype, not because it happened first, but just because it's such, as you said, an iconic example of it happening. They booked it like Shawn Michaels is already uh, Mr. WrestleMania, the icon, the showstopper. You know, like it never hit me till I watched it this time. Like it's just a breakup of the Rockers, and yet they gave them the segment time, they gave them like the dialogue, they broke a window like it astonishes me that they gave so much to this sure like this is something that could have just as easily happened you know oh we lost the match now we're shoving each other oh now we're not friends anymore you know so it could have been nothing but i think clearly they really really wanted to do something with Shawn michaels which is to their credit so they said let's make something good out of it let's make one of these classic inciting incidents something that at their best wwf was unmatched with creating these moments which mm. which spawned off characters and feuds and resonated through time at their best wwf uh is so good at this and this is just one of the most classic examples that you can have even bar bruce the barber beefcake starts with their tag team specialists which that's been the running joke on this show but the fact WWF is that plugged in that he's using that rhetoric. Yeah. Like somebody's got their finger on the pulse of this thing. Sure. I don't know if Jake has something to do with this. It's a Pat Patterson thing or what. He vents himself, Bruce Pritchard, you know, who knows where the credit belongs. But, uh, yeah, no, this segment is so good. And it's impressive that not even Bruce Beefcake can ruin it. 
Um, he, he, <laughs> he, I watch other barbershops and he's terrible. He's as bad at this as he is at everything else. So I, I will just give credit that they mostly let Sean and, and Janetti, uh, carry this cause they do a much better job. I feel bad for Marty. Cause like even Sean Michaels coming out in a leather jacket, like it's clear that like I am uncle Jesse and now you get to be Joey or Danny. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, a sweet full house reference, I think. I don't even. I'm not even up on my shows enough, so. Yeah, that's a full house reference. Beautiful. And you know, but but it is what it is because like half the time you think that they're gonna leave as a tag team, but like Marty's wearing an old an old shirt tucked in, and Michael's has got a whole new like I think an earring and a leather jacket. So like, you know, they've already gone their separate ways while they still potentially could be together. Yeah, and I'll just say it's a small thing, but credit for allowing them to dress like human beings here. They yeah. have to come out in their wrestling gear or like in their own merchandise or something. Well, we just call this one of the most iconic events of all time and just praise it. And if they're standing out there in matching rocker outfits and they do everything the same, I don't know if it's iconic. No, not not on the same level. So yeah, there, that would a be lot so goofy. Bad. Oh God, that would be goofy. <laughs> in a, in an era where Ric Flair was not allowed to wear a suit, thank God that they were able to wear human clothes. I'll just say that. Yeah, and it's so special for Michaels. Michaels is a guy who's about to get a completely different wardrobe. And I have heard, like, when he shows up with all these new outfits, like, he is going out and buying them and having them made. Like, that is him, like, taking the initiative. So, like, the clothing and the look and the precedent they're setting, the whole boy toy thing that's coming, like, this is them giving him a little bit of gas to actually go somewhere. Yeah, absolutely so. Um, So we get them talking back and forth. Shawn Michaels says, oh, our team is great, but I'm the captain. I put everything together. And he says, well, no, no, no. Where is friction? There's no captain. Um, he <laughs> And this kills me because I swear I didn't see any examples of this, but this is Janetti's argument. Oh, you're, you're flirting too much. and You're missing out <laughs> during our matches. And, man, I don't know when that happened. Um, Sean says, oh, I can't help it if the ladies like me. And then he points out, much more justified from what I remember that you have also cost us. You've made mistakes too. Let us not forget Janetti chasing Jimmy Hart while the natural disasters destroyed Shawn Michaels. Let us not forget what we just saw with Shawn Michaels being unconscious and Janetti throwing him into the ring. Um, Janetti to his credit says, I did make mistakes, but I do want us to stay together. I want us to go to the top. Um, he turns his back on Sean, it's a nice moment. He says, you should either leave or you should stay and shake my hand. And Sean stays and he shakes his hand. But the rest, well, after that, it's just history. Oh, my God. So this is, again, I'm going to overuse the word iconic, but my God. Um, and babyface privilege is a hell of a drug. But um, I was watching this and halfway through it, I thought, wait a second, who's turning heel and who's going to be the babyface? <laughs> Because it, it goes off the, off the rails a little bit, like you said, because he's like, yeah, you were on the apron flirting with a girl. Like, you're the dynamic dude. The only time the reason you have a job is because, like, women like to look at you. And now, like, that's what's going to turn you heel. And then Shawn Michaels, before he even tells a story, like you said, which is much more severe, he's like, oh, we're going to uh, shoot blame back and forth. So it's like, oh, my God. Like, so you just slapped me in the face and we're going to go there. So I guess I'll go there because you went there. You know, so that's weird. And then his response is like, oh, well, you threw me in the ring like when I was vulnerable and got me beat and hurt. And also he pointed out I was in the ring with Ric Flair, something you've never, ever done in your life. So 
Uh, that was an interesting line. Um, and then I think we get everything that people are going to love about Shawn Michaels and hate about Shawn Michaels, like the best of Michaels and the worst of Michaels, because if he came out here to betray Marty Jannetty and make no mistake, he did. If it had been left up, when Marty Jannetty says, I will turn my back. If the only way he could betray Marty Jannetty is by Marty Jannetty having to say so in it, I think he would have just stayed with the Rockers because I think he's that stubborn. But so he had to make up with them and then like, get everything fresh again and then betray him without Marty Janae's permission, because I think he's that petty. <laughs> no, it's great. It adds something for sure. If he just turned his back and he hit him again, it would not be as iconic. You know, the fact that he shook the hand first, it really yeah. cemented, um, kind of the, uh, the Dick personality of Shawn Michaels that we are going to see very prevalent in the coming days. Someone, a great director too, though, because mm. they like, they raise each other's hands. They stand on one side and they switch to the other. Then obviously getting the cue. Like their pacing is so good. Like everything is so good about this. Yeah, absolutely. So, and last comment, not the least of which is the greatness of the commentary. This is some all time, uh, Bobby Heenan stuff where he said, Oh, they need each other. They had to get back together. And then the betrayal. And he says, Oh, I knew he was going to do that. Yes. And then the all-timer, Janetti goes through that window, and he says, Marty Janetti, trying to flee through that window. What a coward. Amazing. Yes. Can you imagine if Bobby Heenan got paid by every time he said, he said a line that exceeded expectations? <laughs> Would have been a millionaire, could have retired far earlier. So. Like, that, that's instinct. Like, to be in the moment with that. And, like, I think he almost doesn't know the difference between their names, like, at one point. But yet he can pick up the – he can sense the, the, the segment and what it needs and give it that. Absolutely. So good. And for those of us that are a little more bothered by the baby faces, Shawn Michaels gives a great line that can ring through history at the worst of times. He says to Marty Jannetty, did somewhere down the line I tell you I needed your help? <laughs> that line would fit so well in so many segments in other places. Oh, yeah. We're going to have to remember that one for sure. Yeah. I'm sorry that you're like you're on this little pat yourself on the back tour, but like I actually never asked for that, didn't want it, didn't need it, and it did not turn out well. Mm. It's not the thought that counts when you, when you roll someone in the ring so that they can get defeated by Ric Flair in the biggest match of their career. <laughs> Uh, yep. Don't come down on your crutches, Sting. There, one more time. We'll talk about him. So. <laughs> this was so beautiful. Def watch this. Watch this. Watch this. You've seen it before. Watch it anyway. What we what we are at now. Before we even get the Flair winning the Rumble. Before we even get the Flair Hogan or Flair Savage. The gates are open on Undertaker, on Bret Hart and Michaels. Like the mm -hmm. gates are open for all of them. Like the race is on. So there is a whole nother group behind the group coming up and we're in it now absolutely we are the the very tip of the next wave of guys who are going to dominate this company and i'm very excited to see it all so okay we are right up against our time so i'm going to run through my finish here i hope that i remember how to do it i hope everyone who listened had a great time listening to our show as always shout us out on Twitter, I'm at Spectral Gent. Shout us out in the forums, lpforums.com. A great thread there. Also, wrestlingheadlines.com. A lot of great written material. You can join in and join the conversation. That is all great. 
Um, and hope you'll check out all the other great programs on LOP Radio. We'll be back airing in two weeks the show that you have been waiting for, we have been waiting for, one of the biggest, most exciting shows that we are going to cover, Royal Rumble 1992. It is going to be fantastic. We cannot wait, and uh, we hope that you will greatly enjoy that and check it out as well. That is all that we have for you today. Until next time, Mystic, take us home. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. I saw an undiscovered creature climbing on the mountainside. You know that no one else believed me. How about And white stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature